guys, welcome to Ride Fields. Joshua Michael here. We got Colin back. We got Mr. Tony Morales. Good evening, gentlemen. Hello. Say something. They're listening. They expect Say content. Something. They expect Bonjour. content. It's Mes all amis. about content. Our whole our whole lives are about content, and I think about that constantly. I think about the idea that uh, anymore we're consuming it. You know, you go back and look at Fight Club, it's all about being a consumer. We're all consumers. We're consuming content. It's it's either nonsense that we're we're taking in or it's something that enhances us in some way or another. It's all about what we're going to end up doing with that material. You can try to impress people at some dipshit party, or you can grow up and just maintain it and then maybe try to turn around and capitalize on it. That's my, that's my take on content. Exactly what we're doing here. We got a lot to talk about. We got... <laughs> <laughs> we got we got cartoons to talk about. We got Modoc. We got Star Trek Lower Deck. We got to talk about some WWE layoffs. We got to talk about an epic bet I lost uh, during AW really? Nothing. And I want to talk about oh, the casting yeah. of Death before we start getting into some uh, the meat and potatoes, the comic books. Tell me why you like Modoc. I want to know. Okay, let's do that. Yeah, tell me why. Uh, tell me why you like Modoc. Uh, I'm about four-ish, uh, four episodes in right now. Freaking, it's it's fun. It's it's goofy. It's not. It's unlike anything Marvel's done previously, which is awesome. It's basically Robot Chicken with Marvel superheroes, and I kind of dig it. I chuckled a couple of times. I just I like Pat Oswalt, but I feel like he's the king of the betas, and when he when he does his comedy, it just seems like. Him being as as violent as he can, as w- with a soft hand, because he's probably got his ass beat a lot, and you know, I don't know. There's something about beta culture. I feel like he's like the epicenter of like uh, like Mark Marin, like just th- these guys, like they've never oh, been in a fight. Yeah, forget about it. Yeah, like they they they're, they whine a lot. You think somebody hasn't punched Mark Marin? <laughs> Somebody's definitely punched Mark Marin. I don't think Mark Marin has awesome been in call any has probably punched Mark Marin at least three oh, times. Nice. <laughs> he he just got I think a punchable. Mark Marin has definitely been knocked out a few times. He's got a punchable face, man. He just seems like a pussy. He's got a punchable personality. I watched a Mark Marin. Okay, we all watched Glow, right? Oh yeah, that was mm-hmm. awesome. I I, I had heard of this guy, but I hated, hated the advertising for the t- the series he was in, Marin. Marin. And I was like, oh, that's what we need, another irascible, pissed-off guy. That's his whole shtick. Nobody can say – he's always negative. He's always unhappy. Yeah. Nothing's going to fix that. He's never going to get what he wants. Like – why do I want to watch a show like that? And that, that seems like that's this trend. It's not that anybody wants that content. It's that they're forcing that down our throats as material that they think we need. And, uh, and then he was on Glow, and I was like, you know what? It works for this character. I like this character. This character entertains me, but they're making fun of him constantly. And... Um, uh, there's those opportunities where he gets to shine a little bit because he sees what this whole thing can, can what what it can be. Right. Uh, and then, so I get where you're coming from, but like at the same time, Patton Oswalt. So I, wa- I watched I watched a Mark Marin uh, stand up during the lockdowns, and I was I I, I tried I let it go and I kept it going. I and tried. It just, yeah, I got never, I got fifteen minutes into it. 
Yeah, it never shined. And then I watched a Patton Oswalt one, and I was like, this is kind of good, but not so much that now I can even remember what it was. I'm just saying, like, if you deduce things, as I have to do as a person, right? Uh, you can go back to anything that Patton Oswalt did as a stand-up performance in I like the last year though. and probably come up with that. I, like I liked it. it. There were two or three really good moments in it. He, I can't remember what they are now. I got to say I respect him. I still respect the guy. His, yeah. his, his stand-up is actually really funny, but it just had that beta frequency going on in MODOK. It did, it did have yes. some funny moments. <coughs> Excuse me. But I don't know, man. I, I, I guess I, I had uh, the opposite of rose-colored glasses trying to watch it. I mean, it was gorgeous to watch. Like, the, the animation was beautiful. It was uh, The I robot chicken guys were probably shitting themselves. They could never do something that good. But... I don't know what else was it about, man. Like, because Modok is like what he, he like lives at home. He's got a wife and wait, yeah. Tell us what's the premise of Modok? Because even a lot of Marvel people can't really nail down what's going on with Modok. Yeah. Well, the whole thing is, like I said, it's it's he's kind of a beta, but at the same time, that's kind of the whole point. Okay. Because he's freaking, you know, he's Modok. He's this supervillain, but he lives at home with his wife and his two kids. And like his the comp- uh, aim, the company he runs, you know, his evil organization, he lost it to this guy named Austin, who just kind of <laughs> he wants to kill Austin, but he just can't kill Austin. And like he gets, there's this woman who's like a scientist that works for him, but she just constantly berates him. But here he is; he's supposed to be this big bad supervillain. But the entire joke is that he gets absolutely no respect. Right. Like that's the entire point of the show. Is that he's a beta? Well, then we need to check out the comic. He, I, I started reading the comic to that Pat Nozzle. I think Pat Nozzle was writing it actually. Uh, I think they're issue three or four in right now. I'm not sure. Hmm. Oh, I'm sure Dude, this nothing is to do with that. It's just, it, it's just kind of a big. It's kind of a, just a big joke of a show. It's I get. I, I'm. I'm having. Okay, I've seen. Sec. I, I see the second of the trailer. I'll scroll past it on Facebook. Facebook algorithm knows I like Marvel comics. It's it shows this to me, and I'm like, okay, that's great, but I'm not going to watch it because it's Modoc. It doesn't say anything about Patton Oswalt. If it said that up front, I would have been like, oh, I like creator-driven content. Like that's of interest to me. I have got multiple Modoc ultra like rare hero clicks in sets and handed them off to people who wanted them because I was like, I'm never going to do anything with this. I'm never going to do an aim themed team. I'm never going to do anything with this. That makes any sense. You know, somebody who appreciates this will, will take this. I had, I used to have this roommate in, in LA that was a Modoc fan. I was like the hell for, <laughs> yeah. and it was, it was, you know, just the random goofiness of the character. Modoc is like a living he, God, imagine, imagine, uh, imagine a headless body where the whole body has a face on it and tiny little muscular arms and legs, right. but nothing about this makes any sense physically. So he's in like some kind of bouncing rocket chair and it's all the intellect of the character that makes it worth doing anything because how, you know, it's, it, it, if you know anything about the, the Kree species in Marvel Comics, they have the supreme intelligence, and that is this multi-faced green blob that is a co- like a, uh, um, it is the sum total of the Kree intellect. 
and uh, they let it rule them because it can make uh, uh, decisions for their entire species. Well, I guess at some point or another, MODOK became that for Advanced Idea Mechanics, AIM, which is kind of a scientific, a high science uh, terrorist organization that exists within the structure of a lot of countries or something. But um, this is a, this is a very like seventies, eighties Captain America thing. I thought this was a, with when this a Jack Kirby. I mean, no. you know what? That's the pr- dude. I mean, this is such a character that I've never taken seriously enough to know the authentic history of it. And maybe that's a black mark on me. But like at the same time, uh, you know, there's stuff that even like as you know, we read all of this crazy crap that doesn't make any sense. And how is anybody supposed to take this seriously all the time? But like when 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 a character like that just is so so asinine. In its in its makeup, I'm like I'm not doing anything with that. They, they you know, and like they they've never really nailed him. They've he's either really gross and yeah. super evil or or really like whimsical and goofy. Because um, uh, there's like three different spellings of his name. And there's the mental mobile mechanized. It's either mental mobile or mechanized organ yeah, designed right. only for killing. Yeah, I was right. This is a Stanley and a, uh, a Jack Kirby creation. Cool. All right. uh, Tales of Suspense, ninety three, September nineteen sixty seven is the first appearance. Wonderful. I I like Modoc I mean, a lot. Like I, I, but I like him when they make him gross and evil. Evil. Like when they remember, God, was it like post siege when they found like the 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 hidden the the hidden mountain where his bodies are constantly being made because the, the the bodies oh, only wow. last like a only a, a finite amount of time for he has to put his consciousness back into a, a brand new one because it, it it's a, literally an unsustainable organism and i love that that's brilliant that's a, like the super sentinels you know and there's a there's a supreme sentinel or something it's like that's like i mean at least when you're looking at the mcu iteration of arnim zola as a living entity that is trapped inside of mountains of reel-to-reel tape in an archaic 70s, early 70s era computer system. I was able to buy that, though. Dude, I totally bought that. I thought that, like, nothing makes more sense than that to me. But, like, if you're going to try to do something with MODOK in the MCU, uh, the closest I could get is maybe making it some kind of sentient computer virus no but they already did that with ultron they couldn't briefly. do that with i don't know he'd, he'd scare Maybe. too many kids it'd be like them killing batman like there's just no way they would ever allow it um but so yeah, yeah it's, it's coming out as this very very well animated cart uh what would you call it a cartoon or more of a stop motion yeah i'd probably say stop motion stop motion or, I, man i mean or made to look like stop motion computer generated made to look stop motion yeah yeah. I go with that. I, I mean, if you can take all of the stop motion cardboard cutouts of South Park and then computerize it to maintain the yeah. integrity of its original concept, I think that you can you can you can say it's still stop motion. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know what? Based on what we're talking about, I give the whole guys. This is minefields, right? 
minefielders. This is what we're talking about all the time. This is an opportunity for us to discuss something that we wouldn't otherwise really give a rip about. But like legitimately, I'm compelled to check this out based on that fraction of information. You know, like this, this could be worth it, especially you say Patton Oswald. I'm probably interested. The guy has. The guy needs to be doing a lot more showrunner material, I think. I, I like the guy just in general because I, I, I can't think of yes. any of his stand-up com- uh, comedy I didn't like that was really funny. His uh, Uncle Touchy's naked puzzle basement like killed me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the 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 tragedy that you know befell him and his daughter when yes. you know he he woke up to a, a deceased wife. And then completing, help complete her work and solve an age-long crime. That was crazy. Um, he, he, the guys, I remember the, the first time I really saw him was in a, in the uh, documentary where they're doing a, 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 like, I think it was him, Brian Pesane, and I can't remember the other guy. But they went to a couple comic stores in between the filming, and like, that's how I found out about Ex Machina, was because, like, Patton oh, yeah? was raving about it. So, yeah, like, check out Ex Not Machina. That's fucking rad. That shit is, like, he's yeah. good taste. You don't just meet someone that's in the Ex Machina, like, that is casually. Like, that's either either never heard of it or it's one of the best things that ever happened to you. <laughs> but, yeah, t- tell me about the Star Trek show, man. Um, what's it called? Well, again? you know, I did not. It's called Star Trek Lower Decks, and it is a cartoon Star Trek series. Before this, we only ever had the Star Trek of the early 70s where all of the original cast came back and lent their voice talents to their characters and uh scotty um jimmy Doohan, he portrayed so many voices on that series because he was just a wealth of capability so um and then it's always questioned as to whether or not it's canonical information uh but uh this is lower decks and it takes place uh, after Star Trek X, Nemesis, and definitely before Picard. Um, and it is questionable whether or not it's canonical, but at this point, I really want it to be because it can't all be the Enterprise and the Deep Space Nine crew and the Alpha Quadrant just being incredible. We have to have the lunacy of what might be going on in the mid ranks of Starfleet and the lower ranks of Starfleet. And and, um, basically, okay, I was trying to explain this to my son today. The the idea of Lower Decks really came out with, uh, there's a a later uh, episode of TNG called Lower Decks, and it's featuring some characters who are gunning for promotion. They're ensigns, and they are... Uh, they realize they're not the ones who get to make the major decisions. They don't necessarily know everything that's going on in the ship or what the mission really means, but they have to fulfill their duty. And that sometimes it doesn't, sometimes what they have to contribute isn't extraordinarily valuable to them. But later they start to see why their, their contributions make sense. So this is a series about, you know, this is the USS Cerritos that nobody's ever heard of and nobody really cares about. It's it's not out there fighting the Borg and dealing with Q every every week. You know, it's not making first contact. It, actually, its speciality is making second contact with alien races. All right. And uh, so there is a bridge crew and they're amazing and they do cool stuff, but they're also per- full of personal foibles. 
Foibles? Foibles? Foibles. I don't know how you want to go with it's, that. It's foibles. foibles. I'll take that. I'm going through the IMDb <laughs> on this, man, and there are some heavy oh, hitters. Dude. There's uh, a yeah. first one that pops out, Don Lewis. I love Don Lewis. I don't know if you remember her uh-huh. from it from a different world. She's She's been yep. in, a, in a bunch of other voice acting uh, gigs. Um, what else was there? There's, she's the captain. Yep. There's Fred Tessiscore. There's Paul Shear. Uh, God damn, Jack McBrayer from 30 Rock. Uh, who else here? Mm-hmm. Jonathan Frakes, yeah. Q, uh, Jess Harnell, who played um, Gacko in Animaniacs. He's the, always a standard. Yeah. Uh, Haley Joe Osment's in this. Uh, Tom Kenny of Phil Lamar, awesome. And one of my. Oh, Tom Kenny. Oh my God, I love him. My favorite voice actor of all times in this, Kevin Michael Richardson, who. Uh, God, the first thing that popped up like that made me fall in love with him was he played um, Thaddeus in the final flight of the Osiris in the Animatrix. Oh, dude, 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 totally. Yes, that was bitching. Kurtwood Smith. Yeah, I mean, is in basically, Kurtwood Smith is in it. Uh, basically, the the core characters are four four main characters. You've got uh, Mariner, who is a pain in the butt, who had rank and gave it up, took the demotion. Just was like, why can't I just be a badass ensign? She's good at everything, so much so that it's a big personality disorder. She's not Starfleet officer material, except that she really, really is. You can tell because there are flashback episodes where you see that she really tried. But then something has happened that they haven't quite explained. And she has decided that she is going to be a lesser person. You've got uh, you've got uh, Rutherford, who is a recent cyborg engineer, and he is hilarious. Um, he just I want to get in there and calibrate things. I I love being in the Jeffries tubes. I love the engines. Oh my god! Like all of that mundane crap that this guy's into. Uh, Tildy, it, Tildy. Oh god! I hope I'm not saying the wrong name. Um, is a, an Orion uh, nurse, and she is fascinated by everything, excited by it all. She's just so good-natured. And then uh, and then there's uh, Boimler, who is by the book and really wants that promotion and has no experience, and he's a total pain in the butt. They just get into so many antics. Every episode pays homage to a previously existing episode while dropping, it's like name dropping little moments. So every Star Trek fan could look at this and go, oh my God, they paid attention to this and freak out. And then at the same time, be interested in what's going on. And it is ultra fast paced. The conversation, the dialogue is really quick, quick, quick. Is it funny? um, It is funny. There are two or three episodes that had me cackling. And oh my God, I got to say, the moment, and it sucks, it sucks to say this, but the best moment to me was the moment in the final episode of the first season that had Riker and Troy in it. All of their appearance, that the, everything that was going on there, we're never going to get a USS Titan series, but... Uh, Is that, that's Riker's <laughs> ship, right? That's Riker's ship after Star Trek Nemesis. And... Um, I was legitimately fanboying the hell out. I was having full-on emotional reactions. And when the episode was over, I was like, God, God, I can't wait for another season of this. And I would just kill what is it to have on? any 
any of these people. It's on CBS. It's on uh, the the, the uh, Paramount. Uh, yeah. C- what is it? What the crap is the streaming Paramount service? Paramount Universal something. <clears throat> the 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 thing being, this came out on DVD. I was walking through a Walmart. I saw it on DVD. I said, "Boom! I'm grabbing that." And I, dude, I watched this in no time. It's on DVD. And uh, it's on DVD. Awesome. Yes. Shit, I'm going to for it. I've already, I'm, I'm in my second watch through. I'm going to watch it again and again and again because it is just like, it just melts in your mouth fun. And so many Trek fans have hated on this and shit on it. And I'm like, guys, they're not trying to force anything on us here. They're just like, I know you guys want your Star Trek to be serious, but like, not every ship in the fleet necessarily has to be serious, right? Mm-hmm. Like, my one of my favorite moments was when uh, Worf and Dax, spoiler alert, are getting married in Deep Space Nine, and they're like, oh, that ship is going to be here. And they're like, oh, that's the party ship in Starfleet. And I was like, there's a party ship in Starfleet? Like, <laughs> that's awesome. It's that kind of stuff. Not everybody gets to be... You, you think of Starfleet, I you know, you guys, I review the hell out of some Star Trek crap. But, like, there's no reason why this doesn't make sense. It's perfect for what it is. If you can't enjoy this, you got to pull that broomstick out of your ass, okay? <laughs> it's just, that's, what, that's all I can really say about it. If you can't enjoy this, I can understand a couple of aspects of it. Mariner is a little trying. Boimler is a little too much. It's a little too squee. It's a little too ee, fangirl. It's a little too fanboy. But like, it's not Discovery. You and know, Discovery is really pushing my buttons. But I got to watch the third season. Anyway, <laughs> that's what I got on that. You know, uh, I, 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 you, you guys are talking, and I realize I have a cartoon to talk about. Oh, and do I, it? Yeah, in 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 my notes, um, Invincible on on Amazon Ooh. Prime. I uh, I don't I don't think I told you this, but uh, Tony knows. Um, I wanted to watch this. I've been wanted to. I've been really wanting to read this for a long time. I remember seeing it on the shelves when I first got back into comics, back in yes. like two thousand and seven, yes. and I was like, uh-huh. I was I was snatching up anything that was Vertigo because Karen Berger was still at the helm, and uh, still at the helm, and. I you know I picked up The Walking Dead, but with Invincible, I was like, no, I like that's a that's a rabbit hole. I don't I don't want to really go into. But uh, I read the entirety, all 150 issues in an entire week, and it d- 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 that's not a feat. Keep in mind, it's a Kirkman book, where you know Walking Dead would take maybe about five, oh, six, yeah. six minutes, maybe about eight eight minutes tops to get through Invincible an Invincible issue. But the reason I wanted to bring it up is because. If you're going to watch it and you haven't read the comics yet, only read the first three graphic novels. Don't read the entire thing and then watch it and expect to be satisfied because there's so much more meat and potatoes that happen after Omni-Man goes completely crazy and, you know, the whole world sees it. And there's so much more that's going to happen that it, it actually was a detriment from my enjoyment of the cartoon. But that's the, oh man, that's too bad. Dang, dude! The, like there's the, uh, the the development just took off, and and the characters are so well rounded, and and you can really get into 
so many nuances about them, but none of those things are there in the first <laughs> in the first uh, season of the cartoon and the first three graphic novels. Like they're just not, and it's going to be a little disappointing. It's it's like watching a teaser for something that may or may not happen. Like the, the, they, I remember some dude on uh, Reddit posted a photo of all three omnibuses stacked up. Uh, and like a like a couple of sticky notes sticking out. Like if you're curious, this is how far they get in the in the book. And I was like, oh that that doesn't matter. Oh, it totally matters. That 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 was his warning. He just didn't know how to word it as well as I can because I'm awesome. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> and it was a lot of fun. J.K. Simmons. I'm a mark for that guy. Like everything about that guy. Oh, he's amazing. I was watching an interview with him a couple weeks ago, where I think he was talking with um, Colbert. And Colbert was like, yeah, you're one of the greatest character actors out there. And he's like, "What's a, how, how would you define a character actor? And he was like, uh, we're just not as pretty as everyone else. <laughs> and he, he wasn't wrong. Uh, but the thing, thing, though, is is that he's developed so much more than being a character actor. I mean, like, he's, he's Gordon now. I mean, like, but character actor, he's JJJ, he's man. Like, like, he was perfect as J. Jonah Jameson. There's no way they could have passed That's a good point. While you're talking about that... While you're talking about that, I'm gonna look up that uh, com- uh, that uh, that comic book series I found on Netflix w- that has him interviewed in the uh, Marvel episode because uh, yeah, it was it was phenomenal. He's he's wonderful as, as Omni Man. Uh, the the dude that played Glenn is invincible. Mark, they uh, um, no, uh, no, no, no no the character's name is Mark. His name is uh, Stephen Yen. Yeah, I know it. Stephen Yoon, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Great guy, by the way. I did a movie with him. I worked on Minari with him. If you guys have heard of Minari, he was a total sweetheart. He seems like a real nice guy. Like, and it really comes He's, off in his acting. Yeah. Like, like Absolutely down-to-earth, dude. Like, it comes off the way, like, when you watch an Adam Sandler movie. Whether, you're not, whether or not you like the Adam Sandler movie itself, you can tell that these guys are all seriously best buds. And they're mm-hmm. having a shitload of fun doing it, and it really translates when he does anything. And I can tell they're having a lot of fun doing Invincible. The, the art, it was decent uh, animation. I, I remember uh, my mom saw me watching it uh, when it came over, and it was just one of those things. She's like, "Is that anime?" And I'm like, "We well, you know, kinda. It kinda is." But uh, that's really all I have about it. It's just just a warning. Don't read all of the books. Just make sure that uh, you get two, uh, three, three in, and then just go ahead and enjoy and. They change very minimal things. Um, just a, the best segue I can to the before we get before I get a little serious on you guys for a little bit is they they change one of the main characters into an African American girl, and I remember thinking like like I've ranted about this before. It's not that I had a problem that they changed her into an African American woman. It was the fact that they did it and it felt like it was like a cash grab, like some fucking you know studio exec says we have to have a black girl so like that that's kind of that's kind of bullshit because not that that she's she's black but the fact that you would do that and i i feel like it's a it's a detriment and i would feel talked down to if i was african-american that they would just have to change someone like that just make a good african-american character just just pure and simple this man this has been a this has been a time tested conversation between you and me we've been talking about this for years you're gonna go into the fantastic four movies from fox and make alicia black well who gives a shit you're gonna go into daredevil and you're gonna make 
Kingpin. Uh, you're going to get, Ving, yeah, Kingpin to be Ving Rhames. Well, he makes freaking sense because of his build and all this other stuff. But at Correct. the same time, I'm like, you're going to go and just make the villain a black guy? I mean, that does not necessarily feel right. Are you going to go in and you're going to do all of these different things? And like, it's one thing to. I find the pandering. I find the pandering to be uh, talking down to whatever demographic that you're, you're you think that you're trying to satisfy. That's that's my bitch about Star Trek Discovery. The, I, mean, I may be completely in the wrong on that. I might be the bad guy. Well, but like you know, every everybody on that show has something going on, and it's like, uh, is there you know where where are the where are the lower decks characters? You know, like every time they introduce a new character, they've got a thing. And it's like, uh, it's not like that, guys. It's I it's mean, it's the cover of a it's the cover of a, a new age teen Bible, you know, there's or, or a, a, a collegiate book where there's the the kid, the, the Asian kid in the wheelchair. There's the one black girl and the one black guy. Oh there's the, the Mexican yeah. dude. Like, OK, like just just give us good stories. Oh, like if you want to honor in the 80s. There's a nerd. <laughs> yeah, there's a nerd. There's always a nerd. Yeah. Uh, my, my point is just write good characters and don't. I, I, I if if like when and, and to do my best about this because I'm sure people are thinking I'm some racist piece of shit, but people don't know the idea of talking about racial uh, about racial things and then the difference between being racist. Mm-hmm. Now. God, I'm just get, I'm getting so like worked up about it because if like when the the, the Speedy Gonzalez thing happened, like oh we got to cancel Speedy Gonzalez, like there wasn't a fucking Mexican I knew, uh, me being Mexican myself, that had any problem with Speedy Gonzalez. Like they had to uncancel him because the Mexican and Latino culture was like, what the fuck are you doing, man? You can't speak for us. Like we love Speedy. Like don't 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 do that to us at all. And the reason I'm uh, the, my my segue into this is that the. The cast got announced for the the full cast for The Endless for Neil Gaiman's Sandman television show that's coming out on Netflix. And uh, yeah. just to be uh, just full disclosure, I saw that they cast a black woman as death. And I was like, what the fuck is this shit? And it wasn't like, I, it, but it wasn't me being mad that she was black. It was me being like, that's not Tori Amos. That's not Cinnamon. Like, it, in my mind, it... it I wanted her to be, to look like that. Like, just because that's what I'm used to and that's what I wanted. But there's so much more meaning yeah, to it. Well, read. Well, well, how, how old is that story? 20, 30 years old? 88, I think, or 87. Uh, there but you go. I mean, it's, were, we whitewashing th- were we whitewashing things because we didn't think people would buy the comic, buy right. the book? Right. You know? I it, mean, are there... Are there other characters of color anywhere in that story at all? Uh, every now and then, but not not in the sense that the the endless that they're all they're all anthropomorphic ideals ideas depending on the culture. Now here's here's where it's going to come full circle, is that it's one layer here. She doesn't look like I want to like like I want her to look because I want her to look the the the, the kid in me wants wants it to be recognizable. There's that. Okay, we can stomp that out. That's not a big deal. The next layer here is how important it was to me as someone in the goth culture and how much I love Tori Amos and Cinnamon, like the, the famous goth chick from, from London that unfortunately passed from cancer, colon cancer a couple, I think uh, back in 2014. Um, mm-hmm. And it, that meant so much more to me because that was part of my culture. 
and how much I love Tori Amos and how much Tori Amos's music has affected me throughout the years. Now, people are taking it a step further that, oh, like, you know, you're, you know, how dare you do this, you know, um, and people taking, people get mad about the how dare you as though you're just a racist piece of shit. But that's not, there's extra layers here that what I just described, what that's important to us. Now, Neil Gaiman on Twitter today said, I didn't, you know, I thought people loved death for the character, not for what she looked like. And uh, let me, let me pull up the specific tweet, actually, because it, it really made me happy that it, the, the way he presented it. And the difference between the disconnect from a creator and how he feels towards it and how he feels other people feel towards his character to how we actually feel. And now it's, now it's in his face. And he's Neil Gaiman, so he's coming off perfect. You know, he's, he's, he's just one of the best people that's ever existed. And he said, I always thought that people loved death for who she was. The person that I wrote, I'm astonished to find that for some people, what they thought she was, was a white woman and just a white woman. And I responded, we definitely love death for who she is. However, you underestimate our love of pretending that death is Tori Amos or Cinnamon. I'm sorry our fellow humans are making this about race, but I cannot wait to see the show. And out of everyone in the world that is a writer, we trust you. And I, I hope he understands that. Like, it, it's, it, but at the same time, though, and how to bring it full circle here, he's right. Now, in the pages of, of The Sandman, there was uh, when he first, the first uh, graphic novel, he is looking for a couple of things that were stolen from him, and he entrusts the aid of John Constantine. John Constantine brings, uh, knocks on the door of John Jones, and Death looks like, I'm sorry, uh, Morpheus looks like Robert Smith. He's specifically made to look like Robert Smith from The Cure. That's what we oh, see. Yeah. When John Jones opened the door and saw John Constantine, he saw John Constantine, a human being, which he presented to everyone, but Morpheus is an idea that transcends dimensions and, and uh, religion. And instead of seeing Robert Smith, what we see, he saw a giant ball of flame, which was the personification of what the Dream King was in Mars culture. He immediately recognized him as the Dream Queen, but not Dream King but as the way he envisioned him in his culture. Now, taking that a step further, the best, I hope the best person got the job. That's, that's what I'm, that's, and if, she, if, she, if she's the best, and uh, I, I digress, I gotta pull up her name because that's, if I don't bring it up, because then I'm, a, then I'm <laughs> an asshole. But if she's the best, then she's the best, and give me a kick-ass death. But there's so do you, I wanted to bring it up in in yeah. the, in the <laughs> layers of, of that sort of of what's going on. Here. Just, How do you feel about what I'm talking about? Do I sound like an ignorant asshole? No, because I think what you're talking about the th the the overarching thing here is that <clears throat> you're Neil Gaiman and you write this story out and it gets illustrated and it gets released and it becomes a mega hit mm -hmm. and it's, you think it's yours. Well, it's not yours not anymore. because the fans, I, I have heard for decades from people who don't read comic books that I should read the Sandman. Oh, you like comics? Have you ever read the Sandman? Yeah. I hear it again and again and again. And I'm like, I'm that dickwad. That's going to be like, no, 
I haven't read it because you people won't stop trying to shove it up my ass. I consider it my I'm personal Bible. The stuff I like. There you have it. No, no, my, know, my, have. my personal Bible. And the, the way they personified it, Robert Smith and Susie Sue or, or Tori Amos or, or Cinnamon, um, that's what I want to look at <laughs> as, as yeah. in, in, in my culture. Uh, it had nothing to do with the fact that they were white. They were just goth. Like it, it had nothing to do with with that. And it just it's it's so infuriating that there's this cancel culture and this woke wokester thing going on here. If you don't have these things going on here, then we're gonna cancel you and fuck you and you're you're a racist piece of shit. Um, that's not fair. Like that's just what I'm used to. Like and what I wanted to look at because I want I I, I love that culture. That's what I grew up with. It had nothing to do with the color. Not, nothing to do with that It's at an all. infringement on our rights, and I'm, I, I'm not going to go down that right. hole yet. What I'm getting at is that you're Neil Gaiman, it's the 80s, you wrote your story, it got illustrated, it got handed out, it turned into something bigger than what it was, and there are, I remember persistently throughout the, through the 90s, blah, 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 the Sandman, the Sandman, the Sandman, you got to read the Sandman, everybody's talking about the Sandman, and it's this business of how it's like, at a certain point, it's not his anymore. Right. At a certain point, does Gene Roddenberry own Star Wars or Star Trek? Does George Lucas own Star Wars? Does is it the fans' content? Right. Or is it, you know, oh, you can't possibly do Star Wars properly again because those three movies make it what it is. Well, we've tried. Oh, is Poe gay? We've oh, tried. We, we want someone to be gay in this so bad because we have to do that. Like, who cares? Yeah, and then you're, you're going to go so far as to jam people kissing and hugging at the end of the most recent Star Wars movie just, oh. to, just to satisfy that concept. And it's like, we have to, it's just, it's inclusion culture. And it's, anyway, just, I mean, what I'm... I'm sitting here wearing a shirt that champions yeah. that, you know, One of the best a, a wrestler for everyone. Yeah. And, like, at the same time, I'm still saying, please just promote the promote material that is good. I'm <laughs> saying, like, if you're, yeah, just promote material that is good. Don't promote it with this loaded concept. Now, if you're going to, if you're, if it's the Sandman, it's the Sandman. If it's Spider-Man, it's Spider-Man. I'm not sitting here fussing and moaning about how Zendaya is playing Mary Jane. She's awesome. Spider-Man. She's movie. awesome at it. She's fine. She's not Mary Jane though. There's nothing about that character that is in any way Mary Jane Mary? from any comic book I've ever read. By definition, Mary Jane time, is hot fashion model redhead. By fucking definition. Period. That is it. That is all that has ever been. <laughs> but by now, but we're just. So if, I mean, if, that's not why those Spider-Man movies are not so Spider-Man to me. I have a problem with those Spider-Man movies in that they are catering to a millennial concept. Every problem Spider-Man has in those movies is that he creates his own problems, and then he fusses and pisses and moans about it until he's forced to be an adult and do something about it. And he still doesn't get it at the end. And we've got two movies back to back where exactly the same things happen. And it's like, I mean, it is, you know, the content is unfortunately owned by the fans. So if you're going to make more, 
you need to characterize things built around that. And if you want to do something ancillary, that's where you do your agenda piece material. Correct. You know, like agenda piece. That's that's a great way to put it. it, it like if it's in a now, if she's the best woman for the job, hell yeah, I, I want her to succeed. But if it's an agenda piece, which I don't think is going to happen, considering that he flat out said he's been fighting shitty Sandman movies and television shows from being made for like almost thirty years. Yeah, there now. you go. And and mm-hmm. the, he's they're going to pick someone great. Her name is Ker, uh, Kirby Howell Baptiste. And I, I really wish her the best, but my, the last thing I want to bring it home with is if they're in the pages of the original Sandman, they had based the death character on a black woman that was uh, a famous singer whose music absolutely... If they based her off Sade, if they did goth Sade, if they did goth oh Sade, I wouldn't be bitching right now, or I'm not really bitching at all right now. I would, I, I would, I would instead of saying I want her to look like Tori Amos, like on the cover of... Um, uh, what was it? It was the high cost of living. Um, I would be bitching. Why doesn't she look like goth shedding? Like it, it doesn't matter to me. It's, it, I because the music means so much to me. Like it, it. But that's that's all I got here, guys. It's it's it. We're talking about a <laughs> racial thing with the wokesters, and then I love what you said here. The the agenda pieces, which are unfortunately ruining everything. Uh, uh, Joe Rogan was talking the other day. Like when was the last time? You saw a funny movie, like a real funny movie that like I was, you know, it was uh, Borat, the first Borat movie or or and knocked up in the same two in this like one in the same month. I feel like knocked up and Borat came out and I laughed myself sick in that theater in both theaters. Just Unbelievable! That was the last time I saw something that was that funny. There's no way they could make Borat right now, other than because they did did the remake, but he had already had an established culture. But there's no way they could have Mm -hmm. done a a Step Brothers right now or a Grandma's Boy because it would have offended people, and then people would have wanted like the wokesters would have wanted to cancel it. Like it's it's just it's ruining art and it's ruining it's it's limiting people because they're scared to say the wrong thing and get canceled even though they're just being a comedian comedians are supposed to say offensive shit that's the whole one of the whole things you punch down i could go back even more recently than that i guess is looking at battlestar galactica and saying like okay well can we do a battlestar and have starbuck be who starbuck was no let's cast a woman as starbuck and give her the same personality and it freaking works right i mean that you know, Katie Sackhoff is an astounding performer, mm-hmm. and she sold the hell out of that. And it's funny because when you go to conventions and you talk to her, she's like, "I'm a girly girl. Like I'm not like this character at all." And you're like, "Well, then you're a bitching actress because <laughs> you really put it across. You you really sold that whole thing, and it just." Like now, not typecast is that. Now, when I hear comedians like do their punching down, they always set up the joke now with some way, uh, in some self depreciating manner, to make fun of themselves to make the the groundwork yeah. okay for them to say what they're about to say next, as opposed to like, like I have a friend that's like super fucking wokester man. She's like, I bet you're a fucking Andrew Dice Clay fan, and I'm like, hell yeah, I'm an Andrew Dice Clay <laughs> fan, and she was like. And she was like, that's disgusting. And like, like, I'm like, come on, man, you know me. You know I'm not a misogynist piece of shit, man. And she's well, how like, well, old how, is she? How, she's, she's our age, man. I went to college with her. And 
interesting. And she used to like that sort of shit. And I, you used to fucking like this shit, man. And she's like, well, this is, it's bullshit. It's misogynistic. Okay, first off, it happened in the 80s. And she's like, what does that have to do with anything? The 80s was all about pussy and cocaine and money. <laughs> and, and he could he could have existed at that time, which he did. Dice Clay isn't touring right now, talking about, like, the, like doing the, you know, what's in the fucking bowl. He's not doing that anymore. He couldn't exist now. But it happened. But just because I like that doesn't mean I'm a misogynist piece of shit. I was, it just, it was okay back then. Like, If he was as good as <laughs> we could perceive him to be, he could find a way to tour now. Right. And still be hard-hitting. Because we got Bill Burr, and he's gold. God, he's good. Thank you. Until thank you. He gets shut down. Okay. I, I, and like, thank you. You go back and look at the Bloom County comic books, and you've got uh, Beta Steve or whatever he is, who's the frat guy. Yeah. Who's a smoking, <laughs> drinking, jackwad, womanizing character. And then the 90s happens, and he's like, oh, something's happening to me. Boom. And he's suddenly wearing a sweater, and he's <laughs> like, not that guy anymore. You know what I mean? It's a real thing to figure out how things work with the times. But if you're a political commentary like that that comic series was, you can make fun of the fact that it's existing while simultaneously uh, maintaining your edge. And uh, some things only work for so long because it is what they are. Right. Um, my last thought on this is uh, my homegirl, we, we had dinner tonight and she was talking about The Mandalorian. She's like, okay, why would they cancel Gina Gina? And not Bill Burr. Like, she never said anything totally offensive. She just didn't agree with everyone. Bill Burr has said some fucked up shit, but everyone, <laughs> all the wokesters out there have no problem with Bill Burr. Like, if you listen to his kind of, his, the, 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 the rants he goes on, his actual comedy, like, Gina, she's just a conservative that just didn't drink the fucking Kool-Aid. But you're going to cancel her, but uh, what he does is okay, even though, like, technically, if you're going to put it in a measuring bowl, what he does is way worse. <laughs> way worse. And, uh, it, that, it, that was the sound of me making an expression I can't quantify in sound. Yeah. I'm just like, Meh, all right. Okay. I mean, yeah. They, they, yeah, you no, can't pick I don't, or I don't, I don't want. No, I mean, this world needs all of these things. We're, we're living in a place now where uh, your Second Amendment doesn't matter, your First Amendment doesn't matter. You don't agree with this, you don't cater to this, then you're just flat out wrong. And you're, you know, I, I mean, all. I, I just worked with some people who were telling me that they had a buddy who was being destroyed in his, all of his friend groups because he uh, uh, he is not any of what they're saying, but they're, all they had to do was say that he was. And uh, you get tried in the media, your, your entire image is destroyed. And uh, because this, this is no – in my, my estimation, this is no longer an evidence-based society. I am not going to sit here and tell you that Bill Cosby is innocent. <laughs> right. But uh, there was... where's the evidence? You, you live in a society where you feel terrified to come forward for years and years and years and years. But then finally, one night, a comic gets up there and says, hey, man, you know, Bill Cosby's a rapist and like blah, blah, blah. And it gets some Internet buzz and you can all come out and say this happened and I can quantify it. There's a degree of evidence, but is there evidence? And it's like, it's just, it, it, I'm, a, I'm a, guys, I'm folks, ladies, everybody, I'm sorry. I'm a white, heterosexual male, and these things don't 
happened to me. And, uh, I mean, yeah, I've experienced some shit, some weird shit where people have come after me and I'm like, I'm terrified that they could, they could decide to just lie about it. It just happened to me. It's like, what the hell am I going to happen? What what the hell, what the hell am I going to, yeah, yeah, it's happened. Yeah. You're still dealing with that kind of stuff. All all anybody has to do is decide that they don't, they don't like what you did and they can lie about it and you'll get tried in the media, tried in the friend group tried in the conversation because this is this is supposed to be an evidence-based judicial system but our society is is really willing to just fuck you somebody else said this right now right that's where we are all i did was ask where where our money was and why we weren't getting paid right and then it it turned into a uh uh, a, a Facebook post, uh, a uh, real passive-aggressive Facebook post that the everyone jumped on and turned it from something that it actually wasn't and then something way worse, and then I'm getting told about perception. And, and I'm like, all right, yeah, I don't fucking care. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't fucking care. The truth come out. Uh, like, But regardless, uh, regardless, it's just, uh, it, it happens. And the, the last thing I want to say about it before we move on uh, to some wrestling was the Simpsons joked about that, uh, <laughs> like, God, almost 30 years ago when Homer got accused of sexual harassment. And, uh, today on Sally Jesse Raphael, what was it, a uh, mothers and daughters reunited over their hatred of Homer Simpson. <laughs> and I don't, know, I don't know Homer Simpson. I've never met Homer Simpson. But I just, I just can't right now. And Sally's like, your tears say more than real evidence ever will. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like we, we got some wrestling to talk about. Uh, God, Dude, t- Tony, real. Tony, you've been... What the hell just happened? Tony, lead us off in wrestling. Today. In wrestling. <laughs> what the hell just happened? What the hell just happened? Yeah, no, we turned turned around. WWE released uh, what six talents today, on top of possible people within the company. So we got a uh, who was it? Braun Strowman was a big one. Ruby Riot, Lana, Alistair Black, Buddy Murphy. Yeah. And there was one other one that got released that I can't recall at the moment. Leo Rush. Leo. No, Leo Rush was. No. That was a couple he, he months ago. He just debuted. He just debuted at AEW. Dude, okay, wait a minute. All right, when we start talking about that in a minute, I would like to lead us off with a uh, with a headline of why the fuck does Leo Rush get a pass into All Elite? But let's uh, let's <laughs> let's go back. Braun Strowman. There's Braun Strowman. That's confounding Come me. On. That's confounding me. The yeah. guy was a company man. Uh, there have never been on any of the rag sheets any whispers that he was the least bit, uh, you know, unhappy with his role. But maybe he was just that good of a consummate professional that he just hid what he didn't like. And then maybe he's asked for his release uh, a long time ago. And eventually, you know, you played you played your cards right, you know, and okay. You know, good luck. Maybe he's just that good. I, I hope so because he's he 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 came off to me uh, the way that uh, Morales has told me about about Kevin Owens that he's a, a WWE guy forever. Like I thought he was a, a straight up WWE guy forever. Uh, the way I mean, he's exactly Morales. You said it earlier. Um, he's what they want. The big dude. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I gotta say, I've seen more of his nipples than I've seen on Pornhub of anybody else's nipples. But like. 
I mean, he uh, he uh, just oh, God. I mean, he was there the first night I ever went to see a live performance with yeah. you when he was with, in the in the in yeah, the family. Hawaii. Yeah, Hawaii family. yeah, and I'm like. Uh, and then he turned into something completely different. And when we went to WrestleMania, he had a huge part to play in that tag team challenge, bringing the kid out. What was that kid's name? Uh, Nicholas. 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 And I'm like, that was. <laughs> you remember? That was. That was epic. It was epic. Like, yeah, until you find out he's he, like, like the son of the, one of the fucking refs. And <laughs> I know that was disappointing. <laughs> but like, yeah. just unbelievable. I mean, just. That that's that's the biggest big man that they have. If you're gonna spend an insane amount of time on on that guy, Wrong, and then Mark Henry. I want to know <laughs> why and how and what. But uh, okay, all right. I wish uh, the best. I wish the best for him, man. Uh, Alistair Black got blindsided, completely dude, they blindsided. Had, they were building him up two two years ago so much with Ricochet. Oh my God! All yeah. right, I hope Ricochet. Well, yeah, they they just brought him back to TV like last week. Too. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. Brought him back. Uh, Santana Garrett was the other one actually who I forgot. Freaking, but yeah, no, Alistair Black was. You know, we all know about everything with his wife and her leaving the company and kind of like why didn't they do them both at the same time? And right. Well, like yeah, they you know they they they've done nothing since she left. And freaking, you know, you hear the rumors that she, you know, she came back and did some bigness of some kind and she was at the performance center. And then like within freaking two or three weeks, he's fired. So that's kind of definitely interesting. No, nah, that's just that standard probable company vindictiveness. Uh, that I just, I, I that's just, that's just crazy. Th- these, these people, these characters we're talking about so far are, are, are needed by that company are needed to develop storylines. Are they good guys? Are they bad guys? Are they so close to the center that we could push them either way, depending on what we need to do with them this month? You know, uh, you can have feuds, you can do anything with this and, uh, you can just decide this character is billed as 600 pounds and they're really, you know, 300 or whatever. And it's, Oh, just staggering. Yeah, I mean, freaking Strowman was basically like everything you'd think a, a WWE guy would be. Correct. Mm-hmm. And, and on top of that, he was homegrown. Like he hadn't, he'd never wrestled an indie match in his life that I know of. No, no. He, he, was, he was purely trained at the Performance Center, came on Raw, freaking got on the job training, you know, ended up winning their world title at last year's WrestleMania, beating Wonderful. Goldberg, of all people. Thank God. And freaking. You know, a year and a half later, here he is. Not even a year and a half later. His story was really interesting. Uh, he, uh, he was on Stone Cold's podcast, and he, God, he was such a consummate sweetheart and just happy to be there. Like, he could have been a fucking blowhard, yeah, I'm a top WB, you know, elite, whatever. No, he was just happy to be talking with, with Stone Cold, the complete opposite of the way Dean Ambrose talked to him that one time on the on the, um, on the the podcast that they, they filmed when Ambrose was champion, which they quickly took the belt after him after that. But um, uh, Mark Henry found him in a strongman show. Yeah. Nice. Mark Henry's the one what, found what, him. What career do you have now if you're Braun Strowman? New Japan <clears> Pro. <throat> your cut. New Japan Pro. There's, nice. Okay. There, no, no, no doubt in my mind. New Japan Pro is where – it's not where I personally – 
God, uh, my, I can, I can, when it comes to wrestling, one of my superpowers is I can separate my personal uh, biases and what I personally like from what will actually, actually work. And it makes more sense for him to go to New Japan Pro. It makes Sorry, more I'm going to eat a biscuit. Yeah. Eat a biscuit. It's actually a cracker because he's English as fuck. Um, yeah, it's a digestive biscuit by Macavities. Right. Uh, what do you think, man? Morales, what do you think? Where do you think you should go? Impact? Well, we'll see where it goes, man. I think of all the guys on this list, like, you know, there was that whole thing a couple months ago where he was ragging on indie guys about getting a real job, and, well, here you are. You're an indie guy now, so sucks to suck, homie. He's not an indie guy Freaking, yet. Um, he did you know, say we'll that. We'll see what happens, dude. That. Yeah. Freaking, uh... You know, we'll see what happens with him. See if he, it's something he wants to continue to pursue, or if it's something where he's going to end up being like the next Ryback and just kind of like doing little indies here and there and not really making much of it. Fuck Ryback. I think he could show up and make some money doing stuff every now and again as long as he stays in shape. Oh yeah, I mean, freaking, he, he's, he's, he's like a big he's dude. Not Hollywood. He's not John Cena. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not. He's not even. Uh, um, he's not even Mike. You know, he's not even the Miz. It's yeah. it's just um, you you got to realize that there's a there's a saying that really one of my favorite sayings in wrestling is there's no such thing as being a nobody in wrestling. And I'm rolling my, that around, man. That's there's there's no such thing as being a nobody. Like in everyone has their part. When it comes to the indies, man, everyone like, has their part, man. That's well, great. Well, like the indies, man. It's 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 uh, it's it's not what people think. You can't show up thinking that it's going to be all shine and pretty, and and you know we're going to have this awesome green room. No, it's 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 been on the road. I've only been on the road once, uh, one and a half mm-hmm. if, if you count the uh, uh, when I was on the uh, a mini road trip from uh, Colorado Springs to Denver when I DJed the Black Wrestlers Matter Two show. Uh, which was an honor, by the way. It was that sounds cool. Oh, dude, it was super cool. It was scary as shit because uh, uh, they come. They were they were, they announced a rumble at the last minute, and some dude from the oh, back, wow. yeah, some dude came from the back and was like, "Hey, uh, we're about to do a rumble. You need to pick a song to start this off." And uh, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was from DJM when I interviewed him when I worked for the Oklahoma Daily, and he told me. When you do, when you start a DJ set, you have to think about it like lighting a stick of dynamite. The first song is going to dictate the direction you go, and uh-huh. and I thought stick of dynamite because I was like throughout the show I was I was doing my best to to impress everyone I could because with my knowledge of kick ass soul music I played across 110th Street you know like I remember one older black woman came to me and like how did you know to play this and I'm like. <laughs> I just I, I don't know how to tell you I'm well rounded like I'm not like I I, I wasn't a, a, a cocky asshole I was like I don't know how to tell you I'm I'm, I'm just well rounded um I knew what to play and when they said pick a song and I, and then I had that I, I I always tell you guys I've got the 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 good me and the bad me on each solar but I have a witchy voice in my head that is never wrong <laughs> that is never <laughs> wrong and that voice whispered to me. Rough Riders theme, and I was like, okay, I'm either gonna play this song and I'm gonna get my ass beat because the N word is said, like, like it's his last name, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, 
And uh, I started that song, and everyone knew. Like, it just hyped them. I played the whole fucking thing. Um, it, it just got everyone in the right mood. And it was just, oh. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, 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 uh, I'm uh, you know, um, rambling on here. But, yeah. Um, but, Tony, like, what? who else? Who else came out? Uh, Alistair Black, freaking, you know, Tommy End. Not gonna lie, freaking this kind of you know. I can't wait to see what he's gonna do on the indies. Freaking now that he's got, you know, that WWE name behind him as a former NXT champion and all the stuff he, you know, yeah, the little he did do, it's gonna he's gonna be huge. He's gonna end up somewhere, you know. He might end up in Impact. He might end up in AEW, but like he's one of those cats that any organization he ends up in is gonna be better for having him. Plus, he's so different from everybody else. Alistair Black, oh. I, want, I want to see him in Impact. I don't know. I'm thinking AEW on that one. You think but, so? You know, we'll see. Oh yeah, definitely. Oh, Going to Impact though will definitely almost de- guaranteed Ruby Riot. And oh. freaking, I I have loved that chick since she was Heidi Loveless, Loveless <sighs> uh, in a. Uh, she was in Shakara and she was in OVW, and freaking well fucking like, rounded. I just just love watching that chick. She's a. I know she used to wrestle with a lot with my uh, my buddy Eric Cannon up in Minnesota. And freaking, you know, she, she's been great for a long time and freaking, I, I, I kind of think she's going to impact just cause freaking that knockout division could be even better with her there. 100%. Um, you know, she's another one that may end up in AEW or, you know, heck even ring of honor. Cause I know they're, they're got a, a revamped focus on their women's division with doing their, uh, their women's women's wrestling Wednesdays. Right. Mm-hmm. So any of those three, like I said, every 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 place of those three will be better for having her. I want them to go explore. I want them to go have some fun. From what I know about the business, uh, I want them to go just go go try everything until they land on what what fits best for them. Because they've got the money, they got the WWE money already. Like go be an artist. The way that uh, was one of my favorite things about John Moxley was he was one of the first people that really hammered it at home that he was an artist as a wrestler. I know other people have brought it up before, but he had he was part of the shield. He didn't he he said flat out, I, my truck is paid off, my house is paid off. I bought my motherfucking mama motherfucking house. He's he's set. He wants to be an artist. He he didn't shit on anything too much. He just said I didn't like this storyline. He didn't say fuck the people for writing it. No, he just no. No, he I did what I had to do and I got out and he went everywhere. Like I loved watching him in all the little indies that he just popped up at before he landed in AEW. And I, 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 I hope that the rest of the people that got laid off today get a chance to go experience and find themselves. Go be the artist that you know you are. This wrestling is beautiful art. It's not in the Smithsonian or the Louvre or the Met. It should be. There's some there's some wrestling posters that need to be in the Met. Pure and simple. It's, they're beautiful and they mean something. Uh, the the scream doesn't mean jack shit to most people and that they're supposed to like it. Edward Munch, okay, we're supposed to like this. But the uh, the poster for WrestleMania 2 probably means a lot <laughs> more to people alive right now than the fucking scream. Or, or starting. That's, or starting that's fascinating. Yeah, my, I like where you're going with that. That makes some sense. And that's from coming, coming from uh, an art history background myself. 
there it's you know contemporary material even if it's advertising can be as aesthetically fascinating as anything that's like hey this is the beginning of this is the beginning of this movement sometimes it's not about what did you do first it's like okay now how do you how do you develop this how do you capitalize on this in a second opportunity mm. All right, so in what world is Leo Rush elite? God, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm glad you said that because I was shitting on it when he came out and Ross was like, uh, this is what the private party wants to be, and he wasn't wrong. <laughs> private party yeah. was part of that, that little, uh, the, the Casino Royale little melee there, and he was not fucking wrong. Leo Rush has the fucking goods. He's not a good businessman, <laughs> but he's got the goods. He's, he's got the goods. Okay. God. Yeah, we'll, well, see, yeah, we'll see what yeah. happens with him. I mean, guy freaking, you know, guy left, you know, got fired from WB, freaking he's gone and, you know, went to MLW for a little bit. Apparently now he's signed to New Japan of all places. Yeah. So, I mean, he's doing, he's doing something right. Freaking, the guy got, you know, he was already, he was already a decent talent. He got better in WWE. He He's amazing as a talker. That's why they put him with Bobby Lashley when he was oh, there in I the know. first place. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's. And that's the thing about like a guy like Pac, when freaking when he was net when when he first came to WWE he was a spot you know he was a, a spot guy, you know you want to refer to him as, you know everyone knew more about his moves and his wrestling, but the guy you know he was a, he was a good wrestler he just you know WWE sh- like slowed him down showed him a little bit more and he was great, but they gave like him he sat with Dusty Rhodes, and learned how to cut a promo, Ooh. and now Pac is freaking untouchable untouchable you know he, he he's amazing in the ring he's amazing on the mic he's freaking looks like he's freaking built out of freaking granite you know and, and leo rush is you know leo rush is two out of three of those don't and freaking, <laughs> you know i think you know i freaking if he could freaking calm down long like if he could settle in some place for a while and build his brand he'd be he'd be a millionaire don't you know, I, I'm glad you said that, and I agree with you. Uh, but don't forget, uh, for all you minefielders out there, if you haven't been around that long in the wrestling scene, Drew McIntyre had just a bad as reputation as a businessman when they fired his ass in NXT like four or five years ago. And he had to go back to the indies and suck it up and figure out how to be a businessman. And then look at him now. He figured it out. Yep. So, yeah, I might be hating on Leo Rush now. But I hope he, he learns the way Drew McIntyre did. You know, they, they all said he was one of the biggest pricks that was around. He didn't give a shit about nothing other than himself. And then he had to, he got, you know, broken down to God and came around and figured it out that he's not, he's not uh, untouchable and a part of a bigger machine. And now he's kicking ass. And I hope, I, I, and despite my feelings for Leo Rush, I wish the best for him. I want him to do, I want him to kick some ass. It only, it only, it's what's best for business is best for business, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's wrestling. It's gonna, it's gonna, you know, a lot of this right now. We're in definitely interesting times. Yeah. There's gonna be, you know, Lord knows what's gonna happen next. Freaking, you know, the whole, the whole hot rumor is that WWE's letting, letting all these talents go. So, because they're, they're trying to trim the fat so they can sell WWE to somebody else. Yep. You know, if that happens, could be interesting. It's gonna be. You know, if it doesn't. It, if it doesn't happen, they're just trimming the fat because, quite frankly, they spent the last seven years gobbling up 
anybody with any form of name on the indies so that they couldn't go to like an impact or a W a ring right. of honor or freaking AEW. Right. You know, that's what they spent so much time doing and they just, it's, it's, you know, an embarrassment of wealth, you know, they could, they could cut, you know, freaking, they've been putting all the, the, they've been taking, they've been slowly draining out NXT UK, you know, they brought over Rhea Ripley. They brought over Pete Dunn. They're bringing over Imperium. At any moment, if you're still an NXT UK guy, they could just kill that entire program and freaking save themselves millions of dollars easy. And nobody's going to bat an eye at it because it's, you know, and that's after they spent better part of three years killing the UK freaking independent scene. They took anybody, they took anybody worth anything and freaking put them under contract, gave them a TV show. And at the end of the day, freaking, it could be all be for nothing. You know, you had, you had a couple good years sucks to suck. Dude, I have such a fucking thorn in my side from that. When that happened, man, because I was so into progress and WXW and all of a sudden, Oh, WWE UK brand. Yeah, we're just going to steal everyone from all y'all's feds. Fuck y'all. Yeah, and that's what, that's what they did. You know, they had a couple of holdouts, a couple of guys freaking, you know, freaking either waited and eventually signed or freaking, you know, made it a point not to sign. You know, you got your you got your Ospreys, you got freaking your Zack Sabre Juniors. Walters. You know, but those cats, are, you know, those, Walt, Walter eventually signed, though. Alistair, Alistair Black freaking, is from WXW. Yeah, all those guys freaking, you know, Indie scene freaking was one of the hottest places in the world six years ago. Now was the last time you heard anything about it, freaking anything coming out of the UK. I can tell you, the last thing you heard coming out of the UK was freaking Walter versus Ilya Dragunov on NXT UK. Ooh. One match in, what, four years? Yeah. Good point. What's Pete so what happened to too? Lana? <laughs> uh, Pete, Dun- Pete Dunn's in freaking NXT. He's in straight NXT. Uh, you know, he's down in Florida for NXT now. He's a, he's you know he's one of the guys you're going to keep. You know, like I said, they could cut. No, we got we got no more Mustache Mountain, no more any De- Eddie Dennis. You know, freaking nobody in NXT. Ilya Dragunov. They could just, they could kill they could cut those guys tomorrow and they're just done. So they, they killed the, they killed all their feds. Well. I think it's going to be a Lucasfilm shit here, man. Sell out to yep. fucking Disney. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> as far as Lana goes, because you know, I heard you mention that, my money's on she's going to movies. Either she's going, she, she might do freaking, she might go to freaking uh, AEW as a manager. Every now and then. Mm-hmm. Just show but, up, my, just my, money's on, my money's on her doing movies. Wasn't she in one of those uh, 12 round movies? Did you ever watch that 12 rounds three with Dean Ambrose? No, 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 no. Oh, it was no. crap. <laughs> but it was still cool. It wasn't. The, it wasn't the rundown though. It was no. no it was freaking... no. It was no rundown. Uh, before I get too distracted, she's definitely, she's definitely done some WWE movies before, but I can't remember. I want to say it was like maybe the Last Marine, maybe, but I could be wrong about that. The Chaperone was pretty cool. That was my favorite one. With uh, Triple H. What a good look. I'm aware of it. I've just never heard somebody ever, ever in the history of foreverdom <laughs> say it was a good movie. I really enjoyed it. It was, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> there was, 
It was a feel-good movie. He's out of jail. He wants to stay out of jail, and he's got to, like, protect his daughter, played by the, uh, I think her name is Ariel Winter. She's the little sister of Pugsley from Adam's Family, um, and Adam's Family <clears throat> Values, and, mm-hmm. she, and she was the little, little Trixie on the Speed Racer movie. Um, I really enjoyed that movie, dude. You should really... I, I think she a Modern Family? Uh, I didn't want to bring that up, but yeah, okay, fuck it, yeah, she's on that show. <laughs> I love that show, so... <laughs> But yeah, no, freaking, uh, no. I think the last WWE movie I watched all the way through was freaking uh, the one with Stone Cold and everybody died. The Condemned. That one, yeah. <laughs> that, my mom bought that for me at a yard sale. I was in Amarillo then, so it was probably at least legitimately 12 years ago. It was a long time ago. It was the last time, last time I actually sat down and watched an entire WWE Films movie. Well, ch- check out the chaperone. God, it's, like, look at these weird, like, butterflies in my stomach. I sometimes. turned it off 20 minutes in. <laughs> it was great. It was great. No, uh, it's just, you ruined my story. My mom texted me at my work. She's at a yard sale. She's all like, hey, I think these are WWE DVDs. Uh, should I buy them? And it was like, <laughs> it was it was a heart. It was a, it was a DVD of the Hardy Boys, a Rey Mysterio DVD, uh, Eddie Guerrero, and uh, like, and then uh, the the Condemned. And I was like, buy those immediately. <laughs> <laughs> nice. She's like, she she texted me back. You owe me three dollars. <laughs> but I want to talk about walk, I want to talk about walking through minefields here because we have let's walk through some minefields. We've been walking through minefields a lot today, man. We're about an hour and twenty minutes into. We haven't even touched comics yet, but like these are, this is what it's like to test the limits of what is going on here. It's not just theorizing where Braun Strowman should go. It's why Braun Strowman should go there. Yeah. Why Lana should go to movies. Why we need to talk about the with the racial divide in in storylines and why people are pissed about death. But minefields is also about having a shitload of fun. Minefields, especially last Saturday at Casa de Morales, where we had our food planned out to a T, made the dude. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. I made some of the best wings I ever made in my life. They were really good. All right. So the the secret sauce, I breaded them lightly, cornstarch, a little bit of oil, some Pam, put them on the grill. My sauce was the extra hot Frank's. I dumped a shitload of uh, honey. A little bit of brown sugar, and I and I finally finally chopped two habaneros. They were just hot enough, not too hot to eat or enjoy. Uh, wife Day Morales made some fucking delicious, delicious ass sliders. Had some del- amazing French fries cooked in the air crisper. Um, I gotta say, uh, Iho Day Morales was the best pay per view pal of all time. He had better picks than me. He did, have, he did have a better score at the end of the night, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we kept track at the beginning of the night. Like, we real quick hauled ass to the liquor store, got some, uh, you got that, you're not your dad's root beer, and I got a big not ass. Not your father's root beer, yeah. Big ass Heine and uh, two little shooters, and it was just perfect. It was, uh, it, it was different watching a uh, pay-per-view with people that actually care about wrestling. Uh, you're... Uh, Esposa de Morales was the funniest woman I've ever been around. Um, it was it was good times. It was just the way a pay per view should go when you're chilling with your buddies until you're actually backstage. And yep. we had a bet going on. A uh, couple tiers to the bet. Uh, if you guys missed last episode, if you had less than 
three. If you didn't it was have three, three or less votes, it was three. three or, it was specifically if you, there were nine matches. If you got less than three, if you got three or less, we had to open a figure live on air. Live on air. I, I had Ooh. my Orange Cassidy, like like a figure that you did not want to open. I had my Orange Cassidy in my trunk, <laughs> shaking in dun, my dun, dun. shaking in my boots, and. Uh, Luckily, I didn't have to open them, but I had the worst record the entire time. I, I actually bet that Orange Cassidy would beat Kenny, <laughs> Kenny Omega, and it just made me think. Like when you when you when you said you really think he's going to win, it made me think of that Simpsons episode when Krusty's uh, uh, a uh, financial advisor is sitting there with him on the couch. And he's like, "You got to stop making these ridiculous bets." And he's like, "Let me get this straight. You took all the money you made, <laughs> franchising your name." And bet it against the Harlem Globetrotters, <laughs> and uh, that was basically yeah. <laughs> that was basically my yeah. bet that Orange Cassidy would win. Um, so there, there was that part. <laughs> it was the uh, there was the winner of the bet would get a comic book of like it was like twenty or thirty dollars of their choosing. Correct. I I I, I mine was Superman seventy five. Unopened black. Which bag. one was yours? Uh, yeah, mine was black bag. Mine was uh, maximum, the first issue of Maximum Carnage. Okay, and then if uh, the so winner got that, if you happen to get every single match right, including the mystery mystery man in the uh, battle Royale. royal, yeah, then it was you got the, you got your comic book plus uh, thirty to fifty dollars thrown on, into your freaking bag. For the comic book, uh, for the comic shop of your choosing. Uh, he he's an Ed's guy. I'm a Muse guy. Um, but uh, yeah, the the perfect card did not happen. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, we 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 did poorly for the first half of the show. I feel like 100. percent But it was still a lot of fun. Uh, another thing about walking through minefields is no good deed goes unpunished. Sorry guys, we had a little bit of technical difficulty there, but I was uh, we were talking about going through the minefields and when no good deed goes unpunished, so I lost the bet. I gotta find. Oh, we lost hard. I lost no, hard. We 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 we, we got to set we got to set the mood first because <laughs> not only did you lose the bet, yeah. so here we are, semi main event, Orange Cassidy lost to Kenny Omega. Yeah, <laughs> I'm already up. I am up six to three. So freaking Josh has to we, – we, we, we voted the main event. We've got the pinnacle. We've got the inner circle. Stadium Stampede 2. Freaking Josh has voted for freaking the inner circle. I voted for the pinnacle. Josh needs this win. <laughs> he needs this win because if not, he's going to open that Orange Cassidy. Oh, I would have been pissed. And we are about – uh, three to five minutes into this legitimate 30 minute match and the power goes out on the over the entire block oh my my God. Pro- yeah the entire block i did it with my mind people are literally, people are literally outside crying because the power is out. Yeah, that was weird. I, I opened the door just just to see if like everyone else's like power was out, and like the door uh, right in front of yours opens up, and it was just this like I gotta say it was like a ten year old kid, and he's like, "Oh my god, I thought it was just mine. I'm all home alone by myself." I'm like, "Who the fuck let this kid alone by himself?" <laughs> and, uh, my neighbors. Yeah, and uh, yeah. So, but yeah, I, I, I it was a squeaker. Uh, it was a squeaker. I squeaked it out. Didn't have to open yeah. my orange Cassidy. So freaking yeah. 
So freaking jo- we end up going. Like, Josh ends up going home. The power is legitimately out for about an hour and a half to two hours. My wife looks it up, looks up the results online. I have to text you. I, I text Josh. I'm like, do you want to know who won? Please, God, <laughs> And he's like, yes, please. He's like, yes, please. Like, freaking, <laughs> you can almost see his freaking, his heart in his freaking knees. Freaking, was, his head hung low in shame. I was about to tell he's, you. He's got to know. I was about to tell you I got robbed at a 7-Eleven and they only took my, <laughs> my Orange Cassidy action figure in the trunk. <laughs> <laughs> But by the grace of Cod and the power of his hero, Chris Jericho, Y2J. Y2J, thank you. They actually they actually pulled it off, and the inner circle won. So while I still get my fully bagged Superman 75 unopened, Josh does not have to open his Orange Cassidy. Now, back to no good deed goes unpunished. So, you know how much I love Jubilee. Mm-hmm. Planning yep, on naming, planning on naming my daughter Jubilee. Like she, she's everything to me. Get a fucking text message from Morales on Monday. He's at Muse. Uh, I'm staring at. Well, it was Sunday. It was Sunday. It was it was, Sunday. No, it was at work. No, it was, it was Monday. You're right because I was. It was still off Memorial Day, so it was Monday. You're I right. I was at work. I put a fucking customer on hold to read that shit. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> I'm staring at a first appearance of Jubilee. Was it two forty four? No, um... Yeah, 244 on Kenny X-Men, yep. Yeah, 244, and you're like, 45 bucks. And I'm like, tell him, it, it, like, is George, bigger dude, beard, put it in my band, like, no, I'll call him. And, uh, get off phone customer, call Muse Comics, like, yo, you've got a word on the street is you got a, on Kenny, 244 on the wall. And George is the sweetest guy, <laughs> and he, he's like, uh, uh, Jubilee! I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's on the wall. And I'm like, uh, can you put it in my box? And he's like, you sure? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and um, he's like, yeah, I can do that for you. Yeah, absolutely. You're 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 a great customer. You're a good guy. Absolutely. I know how much you love Jubilee. I like. He, it was one of those things where he could, I could hear him being like, I should have just called Josh and said it, I, that this was here. <laughs> and, uh, because like like nine point nine or nine point eight are going for like two hundred to three hundred on eBay, and Whoa. Uh, he told me the quality was probably about a nine point seven, and in the box, and he's like, anything else you need? I'm like, yeah, uh, make sure Robin's on my pull list, and uh, thank you for that. But also, uh, I really need a Superman seventy five black bag unopened. He's like, he's like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and, and I was like, you know, I know that you guys don't deal in back issues a lot. He's like, no, this is the craziest thing. I bought a set from someone today, and there's a perfect copy in here. <laughs> Put it in the box. Yeah. I lost a bet. He's like, uh, I, haven't graded, I haven't graded it yet. And I was like, what, 20? He's like, maybe 15, 20? I was like, yeah, that sounds about right. It's usually 18. Usually 18 is the mean. Uh, but, yeah, no, no good deed. Uh, found me my Jubilee first appearance, which by the way happens in a mall, but it is not the Sentinels that's attacks. It the attacks. <laughs> it's it's a bunch of uh, rip off Ghostbusters that are the mutant busters, and uh, they, it's a total joke. Uh, Claremont written obviously about that they're Ghostbusters. Like oh, our shit's untested, and um, uh, at the at the time the X Men were in Australia living in solitude and in, in recluse. 
And uh, it was Dazzler, Storm, and Rogue, who was currently struggling at the time with uh, Carol Danvers uh, taking over her mind periodically, because this was back when mm-hmm. they revealed that's how she got her main powers. And Danvers takes over. The issue starts out where she, uh, Rogue is destroying her little uh, cabin because Danvers decorated it because she took over and she like, hey, Dad was like, hey, we gotta, we need a girl's day. And at the time, Jubilee is a a, a mall rat. She's putting on little fireworks shows with people, and the uh, mutant hating uh, security guards hire these mutant busters to come get her. And that's when. Uh, the three uh, X chicks show up and you know get their hair did and get their uh, fancy dresses. They're gonna go out dancing. And <laughs> Jubilee gets attacked and they save her ass and it was wonderful. They they, they disappear in a portal and uh, as they're disappearing to the portal to go back to Australia, Jubilee's watching it and she's like arguing in her head like, "Are they like me? Like are, like they're uh-huh. beautiful. I want to be with them. Like I want to, but." do I stay here where it's safe or, or do I go and take my chances? And she dives into the portal and that's, that's how Jubilee becomes an X-Man. Other than getting caught reading uh, Carol Danvers, uh, wardrobe. It was, it was wonderful. And, uh, sorry, but we actually have other comics to talk about. Jesus, we've gone through some serious content today. Like walking through minefields. I'm going to burn through mine because you guys have a lot better, uh, list than mine, but I do want to start with, uh, Telling y'all what we're going through. Last Runner number three, X Men number twenty, Crush and Lobo number one, Batman number one hundred nine, Suicide Squad number four, Man Bat five hundred five, Crime Syndicate four of six, Something Is Killing the Children number sixteen. Uh, one, I, I don't know if you're going to go through all three of these Robotrek raid trades you're talking about. Uh, some vintage Star no, Wars. Just two of them. I got two and three. Some vintage Star Wars and Fantastic Four life story. Uh-huh. Uh, last Ronin, Morales. What was the first impression when it when when you, when when you closed the book? What was going through your head? Uh, it was solid. Like I was like personally, like you know, like I kind of hoping that freaking we find out that Donnie's alive. Oh, I know. Kind of hoping that all the mutants or all the turtles, you know, are just like in my, Mikey's head. You know, I was kind of hoping because he was mm-hmm. out of the country when freaking. Uh, Leonardo died. Right. So I'm hoping it was just some kind of thing, where, or maybe freaking, you know, one of the turtles might still be around. Yeah, you know, we we know Wrath's dead for sure, but I mean, Mikey survived the explosion that killed Leonardo and Casey Jones, so maybe uh, maybe Leonardo's still alive, which would be nice. But you know, I doubt that you know, uh, for obvious reasons. This hurts. This this book hurts a lot. Uh, we brought it up before. It hurts way more than the TMNT movie where the, the CGI one where we find out that Leo's been gone for like five, six years and Turtles are pretty yeah. much broken up. And that was, that was <clears> a <throat> game changer then and upsetting in the first place, but them actually being dead. Armchair booking aside, I mean, we haven't even... Because uh, we, we find Fugitoid. Yep. Um, God, Hail, Hail Mary... Uh, Fugitoid has figured out a way to copy their copy them and has figured out how to put their consciousness inside Mikey's head because it's a, it's a little too real what he's seeing yeah. what he's seeing um, and the over the topness of the air of Oraku Oraku uh, Saki is just so over the top like Blade Runner dickhead post 
apocalyptic, dystopian, you know, baddie or whatever you want to pull it. But it, it, it's it's a difficult read, not because it's not written well, but because it's just fucking upsetting. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, it's, uh... The flashback scenes are all done in classic uh, early 80s style, like mm-hmm. uh, predating the, like I, I always think the evolution of the, the artwork went from the black and white, everything's really scratchy, really like ink stained, to uh, the next step, which was the illustrations on all of the original action figures to the overly cartoony of the TV show. Yeah, all right, that makes sense. But, I don't know, like, uh, Baxter Stockman's obviously an evil bastard. We got, like, souped-up versions of Mausers. We've got Fugitoid deactivating himself. We've got ancient Japanese rituals initiating people. We've got a armless, legless April O'Neil with, uh, what's the daughter's name, Casey? Casey Marie. Yeah, Casey Marie. What was your favorite part? Uh, man, freaking probably. I really, I really dig the Casey Marie character because you can, you can obviously tell she's freaking April O'Neil's daughter by the way she acts. Like she just doesn't, like she cares, but like she's gonna do what she's gonna do regardless of what you think. Like I really dig that character. Um, I really dig, you know, the fact that they're they're basically saying like Mikey is basically like a hundred years old right now. Yeah. Like he's just he's just an ancient turtle, April's aged, and like the whole thing's just it's really interesting to see because you're not, you're like legitimately the way they're doing this, you're really not sure where it's gonna go. Like you know, next issue we're gonna probably find out how Splinter and Donatello died, if not Donatello for sure, obviously. But like other than that, you really don't know what's gonna happen. You know, we see like this turtle tank at the end here, and that's really turtle an tank. awesome sight. That means I, but I like, have to what are they gonna? You know, what are they gonna do? Like, and then you know, what happened to all the other you know Ninja Turtle characters? Like, you, you know, Usagi Ojimbo and whatnot, or Metalhead. You know, all those other all those other characters. Where are they at? Are we Mondo gonna see Gecko slash Mondo Gecko? You know, Man. are we gonna are we gonna see those characters at some point? You know, because this is basically like this is this is basically old man Logan. You yeah. know, when it comes right down to it, this is this is the last stand. You know, this is their last attempt to do good. Oh, dude, and at the end, at the end of the day, who else is you know, like is Mikey actually the only mutant left? You know, are we going to see maybe like a a face turn for Bebop and Rocksteady? You know, they're mutants too. They might have aged slowly, right? Freaking maybe maybe something like that or uh, you know any number of other characters could still pop up and we haven't you know they've kept that to a minimum you know we've got April and we've got Mikey and that's it we've got no how much of Mikey's and, sorry how much of Mikey's personality is he retained zero yeah he's really? he's not he's not he's not the fun loving mutant he's not the fun loving you know kid of the group. He's, he is. He's battle hardened. He's lost. He he's experienced pain. He's experienced loss. No hope. Like this is yeah. This was 
originally in issue one, him going to fight the guys in charge is basically a suicide mission. Like he does not expect to come back. Mm. And that was before he found April and before he found, you know, Casey Marie. Yeah. They, they found him. He, he expected to die after that, that, that swan dive off the top of the building when he failed to kill uh, the air to, to Rokusaki. And they, yep. he's fat. He, he wakes up home. Like what a great question, brother! I appreciate that question. Like uh, because it it opens up so many cans of worms on that sort of thing. Is that of all the people? And I remember before the book came out, of all the people that should have been the last Ronin, uh, I I landed on Mikey because he's the yeah, last one I would think sense. that would that would be capable without the rest of the brothers. And here we find him on a suicide mission. Here we find him with no hope. And that's the and. and just like Miles just said, um, you know, uh, war hardened. Like, and they show him like when he comes back, like she April asks him like, "Where have you been?" And he's like, "I don't remember." Yeah, uh, I just went. I just went looking for something. Yeah, he was in, he, in a haze. Yeah, he went to Japan looking for Donatello, and he went to look for Splinter, and yeah, Lord knows, you know, we'll find out next issue if he actually found them before. Yeah, whatever's going to happen has happened. Right, right. Because uh, uh, Donnie and uh, Splinter go to Japan to negotiate a truce, and that's the the last people that, that you know he really is hopeful still alive. Because this, like, because the last issue was the death of uh, Raph, and um, it was just Raph. This one yep. was was um, death of Casey Jones and Leo and Leonardo. God. Like yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy. It's like I said, this is basically freaking. You know, this is Days of Future Past. This is Old Man Logan. This is this is your basic last stand comic book. But without without the vibrations, it's like I didn't in no way, and I don't think you're you're referencing those books as in it's like a rip off of those things. This is a a similar oh, no, similar vibration. Yeah. But we so like I said, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next couple of issues. As far as cause I don't, I mean, obviously this is going to be you know, a finite series, but like they yeah. haven't given us like a one of six or a one of twelve. Right. right? This is just issue three. Yeah, they haven't told us so. anything about how far this is going to go. Um, the other thing is if if there if there's gonna be a movie, and regardless how you felt about the last two Michael Bay films, I, they were eh. But they were it, it, it was pandering to a new audience that doesn't give a fucking shit about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> like, like that, that's yeah. like that's that's how those movies came off to me. Like, let's make the turtles cool. These this new generation, like, uh, fuck those people. Uh, they if they weren't like it, when it comes to the turtles, if you weren't there when it happened, sorry, homie, you missed the bus. Uh, glad you enjoy it from afar, but you weren't there. And this book is. God, the, the current uh, IDW book of uh, Team NT is legendary. I have every single issue. It's wonderful, but this is this is it's like a new reimagination of, of the original story with uh, you know um, Eastman. But this is Eastman and Laird for the first time since the fucking eighties, and this hits harder than anything I could ever imagine that could affect a, a, a turtle fan. And is, is fan really the right word? Right word? Are we really turtle fans? Or are we just... 
there with them the whole time. I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, there's obviously nostalgia feels with it. It's freaking, you know, I never, I never read the Turtles comic books growing up, but freaking like I was huge into like the toy line and huge into the TV show. Who's your turtle? And like, oh, Mikey. Mikey was always my guy. Raph. Leo. Nice. No love for Donatello. Never any love for Donatello. Hey, that just my brother was a Donatello guy. That's why he sucks. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just... Big ass in that video game, man. We gotta find a like. I, I was thinking about this today when I, uh, when I was uh, going over my notes for this uh, issue was that like we need a chick on the show, man. Like the uh, Donat the Donatello chick that sounded out here because. Uh, we come from like a, a Mona Lisa? No, not a Mona Lisa. Hell no, no one that no because that was that was a pandering bullshit there. Now uh, it would be more of a Jenica. Or was it a Venus de Milo? Was oh, the Venus? Venus de Milo was Venus de Milo was also one of the the bullshit chicks that they made up that sucked that had in no way impacting was as least as cool as the main four brothers. But going on right now in TNT. There is a there is a, a female turtle and her name is Jenica and she's a fucking badass and she's she's in no way a uh, agenda piece like you said earlier where they just needed a chick turtle to make people happy. Now this was just an organic like we have a female turtle that's a fucking badass and nice. <clears throat> the nostalgia on this one I gotta say I felt very little nostalgia other than the fact that the, we have some updated Mausers and I really love the new design, the revamped design of the foot soldiers, the, the mechanical foot soldiers from the cartoon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, couple little references from the movie uh, with Casey. Uh, Baxter Stockman being the evil bastard and we get that perfect splash scene of uh, the broken sword and the hockey mask just hanging off off a, a stray piece of wood as the building is burning on Bleecker Street. And yep. <clears throat> this was a thick issue. Everything was developed. Um, I didn't think we'd talk this long about this one. God damn. Yeah, no, so it, was, it was a good issue. Like, the whole series has been freaking super solid. Freaking can't wait for the next one, even though we're you know, probably have to wait a couple of months. Yeah, they said it was going to be a couple of months, but I don't give a shit, man. If if, if this is the content we're getting, the 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 ethos is the ride will be worth the wait, and we've got Eastman and Laird doing this. I even love all the extra the extra covers. The only thing that pisses me off, it doesn't have my homeboy uh, Mike Ruth up in uh, Canada who does a lot of special variant variant covers, his cover is not featured on this. I think his cover was mm. like a one comic book store exclusive, but it should have been here. Oh. It was, it was, he, we had him on the show. Uh, he's one of the, he was the first artist we had on the show, right? Colin? I couldn't tell. I, could, I can't remember how many people we've interviewed and visited with about various stuff. Yeah. I was thinking about that. I was thinking about that Could've last night. Quite a while ago, when we got 95, 95 episodes to look into. That's just on the comics, man. But uh, yeah, let's. Mm. Uh, that's all I got on that one, man. Do you, uh, Tony? You got anything else? I know, man. Like I said, I, I really enjoyed it. Freaking can't wait for the next one to come out. Freaking kind of got my fingers crossed that Donatello is going to somehow survive and make his way back by the final issue. But 
I don't think so. I'm hoping that they're the armchair book it. I hope they're actually that Fugitoid figure out a way to put, uh, put their consciousness in Mikey and they can put him into some clones <laughs> or something. I don't give a shit. <laughs> but, but even like then, the yeah. Uh, I want to touch on X-Men 20 quickly. Uh, this is an issue where it is getting back to the original vibrations that were happening with uh, Powers of X and House of X or House of 10 or whatever they want to call it. Um, mm-hmm. when it was really bleak, when it, we went through multiple different storylines where Moira McTaggart was the special time traveler that c- could retain X amount of information as long as she didn't die by a certain point in her life and constantly trying to create futures where the mutants were not inevitably destroyed by Sentinels. And that ended, and then, you know, well, not really ended, but they stopped that storyline. Hickman stopped that and went on a few different things, like, you know, power, uh, with, uh, obviously we've got uh, what's, what happened in uh, X of Swords. But this one is a one-off issue, and these are getting really dark because the last issue of X-Men, we find X-23 and, God, who was with um Darwin and one other dude that go into the the vault, which is inside the old master mold in the Savage Land, where time stands still, and they're in there for like eight hundred years, and yeah. come back with little to no knowledge of what they learned because it took forever for them to get out, and it just it the the main X Men issues are like seeds now for planting some serious shit, which is going to happen on the foreground. And this one was even more hard-hitting than just what's going on in the vault, was Mystique is like, okay, if I carry out, she's, she's with, um, she has a Forge design, a, a weapon that will destroy the, the space station that's orbiting the sun that is trying its best to create Nimrod. Starcore. Yes. Mm-hmm. To create Nimrod. And Run by Peter Corvo. Yes. And Forge creates basically a mini black hole. And... She's got X Men of time to detonate it and get the fuck out. But what's going on is the the main scientist there, his consciousness was frozen after he was uh, destroyed in the, the last big hit when the X Men showed up and Wolverine saved the day before they revealed that, you know, everyone can be resurrected. And they implant him in this new Im- Im- Nimrod. Everything's running right. And then he gets up like, Wife, thank you. Uh, I thought it was dead. And. And then he just looks over and he's like, that's a mutant. <laughs> and immediately senses Mystique. And her cover's blown. Uh, she has to detonate it prematurely. Uh, Nimrod blows her in half while she's going through one of the portals to go back to Krakoa. But the problem is, is that bomb is going off. And the only way to get rid of it is for him to take it out in, you know, into the sun and save his wife and everyone on the space station. But it, the result is that there's no backup. The only backup is in him. Yeah, they, they can make another Nimrod very easily, but the mind of the scientist is going to be destroyed to save his life, his wife. And it's it's a big book of betrayal. They, they promised Mystique that they would put her wife... Uh, uh, is it Destiny? Or... Uh, uh, oh, Destiny. Or Blindfold. It's one of those, one of those words it's like Destiny. that. And uh, put her to the... If she successfully pulls off the mission that they're going to put her to the top of the top of the line to be resurrected. She fails. Xavier and Magneto are bastards now. And like, nah, we're not doing it. And then we find them 
going through a portal to find Moira McTaggart, who obviously what I said earlier is the, you know, she's trying to find timelines and come back, back and back and back and back until they find one where the mutants are not destroyed by, by uh, Sentinels. But this just happened, this bomb of an issue. But we've got the Hellfire Gala coming up. So we've got all this whimsical stuff. Going. It's, it's really well-rounded. And it, the, the cover alone is, is it's just gorgeous. The, Nimrod is... I hate him. After, we, after killing... Uh, it, it got personal when he killed Nightcrawler. <laughs> Didn't that happen a long time ago? Uh, like 2011? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Nimrod's a hard character, man. Yeah. Uh, that's all I got on that one, man. Uh, any of you guys got... Because uh, we, we've been recording a while, so we got to cut some fat here. Uh, I can t- I can sue I can I can cut mine down in a, not a lot of time I think. Yeah. Let's. Uh, I can I can I can easily kill off freaking crime syndicate and. Yeah, like. Wouldn't mind hitting two attacks. Go to town for a few minutes, man. Yeah, you know, you, you know knock your stuff out, man. I I, I, right. I agree. Crime syndicate, we can like we can knock that out fast, but like not Suicide Squad <laughs> or Batman. Yeah, well, Suicide Squad has been really cool because we got. Freaking! It's it's been tying like Suicide Squad is like probably because the movie's coming out in a few months has been tying in with just about everything right now. So we open this up. We got freaking Peacemaker and we got Amanda Waller arguing about Red X, who they have imprisoned because Red X broke them into Titan Towers in the last issue of Titans Aca- Teen Titans Academy. Number three. Yep, number three to capture Bolt, and they failed. Freaking epic failure! But oh yeah, so they got they got Red X completely captured. Peacemakers trying to understand why the hell we're even bothering with this guy. He's a, he's a sociopath. Freaking! But the thing about Red X is that Red X seems to know an awful lot about the squad. Ooh. So we end up finding out we got people. You know, freaking peacemakers trying to get everybody into the laundromat because that's where. Um, that's the one room in the entire Belle Reve prison that Amanda Waller can't find that or can't hear what they're saying to each other. And basically he's trying to talk about putting them in the freak in the field without the truth is a risk. Like they need to know why they're doing what they're doing. And they're, they're kind of peacemakers done playing Waller's game basically. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, Waller's trying to get red X to reveal who he is because he's basically got a talk about the you know, talk about an the electrical helmet. current coming through his helmet that if you if they try to take it off you're gonna get you're gonna get shocked Almost and freaking like, yeah and freaking we find out that you know you know Red X has you know basically unlocked Bell Reeve and all the all the criminals are getting out and the squad's trying to handle everybody. And at the same time, Red X ends up breaking out because he knows Waller isn't actually there. She's a hologram. The systems in place were wonderful here. Like his his knowledge, like the the the, the meat and potatoes of this issue was not the action. Which, by the way, the action in this comic book was phenomenal. It like it, it mm-hmm. flowed really well. It, it had great impact when it, it wasn't like a, the, the the worst case scenario, which I always come back to, is like just a a Hulk issue where it's like ninety eight percent fighting and you don't know where to, don't know where to look. No, everything here meant something, but what really meant something was how Red X 
was a calculating motherfucker. Uh, like we don't know if he's evil yet, but he he was able to break everybody with a few sentences, not just the biting. Yeah, he knows exactly who and what everybody is. Like he's talking to Calibra, and he's talking about how like. Waller says her family is, you know, in prison and, you know, she's going to hurt him if Calibra doesn't do what she says. And, like, he's like, that's a lie. And one of the biggest reveals of this issue, because the whole time, ever since issue one, we've been led to believe that Talon is basically mind wiped and he has no idea who he is. And the only word he can say is who. Yeah. And like as he's knocking, as he's dealing with that freaking because Talon uh, Calibra sent Talon to find Waller through the vents, and he's in um, Red X basically calls him on it. Is like, I know you're not you're 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 not messed up. You're playing everybody, oh. and freaking, you know, he keeps saying who who who, and then he's like, who the hell are you, child? And like all of a sudden, we find out that he's completely right about Talon 100%. as he kicks as he kicks Talon in the face. What a great foot, by the way. Feet are hard as shit to draw. Like who, my ass? I know your little secret, Talon. <laughs> you can't sectionate your way out of the Suicide Squad. I wanted to like. I wish they had called him Clinger. <laughs> like, but yeah, he ends up because X is fighting his way to Lawler. He's trying to find Waller. And freaking the one person left in his way is Peacemaker. You know, and they're start, and they start going at it. You know, he's like, you know, he's he's he's, you know, he's going to handle them. And then he just kicks the crap out of Peacemaker yet again, kicking him through the door as he finds Waller. And freaking Waller looks at him. He's she's just like, you know, the whole room's wired with explosives. And Red X looks at her and he's like, "Don't worry." I already detonated one of them. You know, we see freaking one of the bombs go off at the top of this tower in Belle Reve. And freaking, you know, the last scene is just everybody defeated. And freaking Red X is flying off in a plane. Freaking, he's like, you know, I'll be sure, you know, to cause, you know, I'm not going to cause you any more problems. And that's where the issue ends. See, but freaking, and all we see is Rick Flagg's freaking cell empty. So Rick flags out, and he's going to come for Waller. With the ha-ha-has at the end, and this is the sort of depth that was lacking in the storyline, uh, where you say all the time, uh, perfectly cast Suicide Squad movie, um, mm-hmm. is the, the, the depth of storytelling here is, yeah, like, there could have been very little dialogue in here, and most people still would have bought it. Like, without, without any of the secret revealing here, like, oh, they're fighting amongst each other, of course they are. That's why, you, that's why you're reading the book. You like this sort of shit. But, yeah. but the exposure of the secrets. Like, like all, there, there's a whole new layer of gravitas here where, uh, like, what the fuck is going on with Superboy? Yeah. You know, we're exposing secrets, but at the other time, like, the readers know... But the the rest of the squad doesn't know, and that's that. You know, you know something's gonna happen. You know something. You know Talon's gonna get found out eventually. You know Superboy's. We're gonna find out what he's doing there eventually. This, but we're we're not there yet. Agreed. Now this is exactly the vibration I'm talking about when you and I stay up late talking about wrestling storylines. Mm-hmm. When, when I'm talking about when the viewers can see something, but 
the back of house can't. And we're all waiting for when it's going to happen, when all the secrets are exposed. And it gets to a point where, yeah, we know what's going on, and now the secrets are revealed, but the only... If, if they keep this vibration up, the next step is for the evolution of that, not just, okay, there's the big secret here, now we're going to go back to number one, and we're going to have a whole new Suicide Squad. No, don't do that to us. Keep... Yeah, I know. Keep, Tell the story. Freaking run run its course. Who do you think Red Axe is? Could be anybody. I mean, it's somebody that knows a lot, so... I think it's got to be Red Hood. No, it's, it's way too lame. You don't think so? I don't. No, freaking why would no? If it was gonna be any Robin, I'd say Tim Drake. To prove himself, he, he'd have access to that information. He would. There's no, there's no uh, revelation that's not a woman. I'd, I'd love. Yeah. I'd love to see if, like, if, if it was Oracle, I wouldn't be too pissed off. That's possible. Uh. But, yeah, dude, thank you for that one, man. That one was, I was about to not read that one until you told me, like, it was like, <clears throat> one, of your, one of your tops. Yeah, it was good. It was solid. I'm really enjoying this. I didn't think I'd like the completely different version of Suicide Squad, but it's pretty much been solid so far. This is, this is the first issue with a full... This is the first time we've seen uh, Peacemaker, his helmet changed from the big bulky one that we're used to to the one that John Cena's wearing in the movie. Yeah. This is the first step to the evolution of uh, them to look like what's going on in the on the silver screen the way that we encountered Cod. Uh, because if you've seen... If you saw what uh, Abnet was doing with Guardians of the Galaxy... Uh, before mm-hmm. the movie came out, you'd be like, who the hell are these people? Yeah. I wouldn't know that at all, yeah. But, hey. There was some uniformity. A little bit. Mm-hmm. What are you next, Colin? Um, man, I'm going to power through all of my material uh, quite, quite quickly, I think. Um, the Fantastic Four Life Story number one, that came out, uh, I think, two weeks ago. Yeah. And... It is not on the same level as the Spider-Man life story was. If you followed that, you realize that these were taking place a decade at a time, major events that happened in each uh, in each decade for Spider-Man, you know, from you know the inception of Spider-Man until now. And uh, so now we're on the Fantastic Four, and I would I, I like the the Spider-Man book was so good that it was surprising that FF wasn't nearly as good. Uh, I'm going to give it a chance. I'm going to keep up with it. We'll see what happens. But really, the thing that gets me is that uh, I mean, it focuses around a lot of early FF stories, but it created a whole new character who is working within the White House. Basically, the FF, or well, Reed Richards, anyways, being asked, like, hey, we need to get to space before the Russians. Well, we're not gonna, because, you know, the Russians sent up a dog, and then they sent up Yuri Gagarin, and um, the first man in space is a Soviet. So the FF is like, well, we gotta get there, but they're, they're canceling our, our flight because I wanna use antimatter. And I look at that and I'm like, who the hell can use antimatter for anything? You have to have a non-physical shield 
to use antimatter to keep it from coming into contact with any matter because you would create an explosion that uh, you could use to, in a controlled fashion, power an engine to get you into space, or you could uh, blow up a significant chunk of our planet, depending. And um, it just doesn't make any sense. And then there are other little disappointing elements where they're like, okay, hey, we got to get a pilot for this mission, and Johnny Storm knows a guy. Well, they don't capitalize on it. They don't explain how does Johnny Storm know Ben Grimm before that? Because Ben was always Reed's best friend. Always. It's like Exactly. So, like, why are we doing that instead? And then Sue jumping and being like, hey, we're your... Where are your crew? Is Johnny going to be okay? Johnny needs to join the team because he could just pick up a phone and call NASA and say, these clowns are about to uh, steal a ship and go into space if they don't take me. So I kind of like that. But at the same time, it's just like they all get together. They jump in their early FF costumes. uh, And like I say, they've been getting shut down by somebody at the – at the White House again and again for their fr- their flight, but when they get to the point where they're like, "Oh yeah, look at that! There's our beautiful ship." There's no big reveal of the ship. It's like that's a wasted opportunity. But in a second, they're all in the cockpit and they're flying, and we see the ship going into space. And I'm like, that doesn't look in any way like any of the ship depictions that we've ever seen of the FF flight going into space in any previously existing book, ever. The big-ass cigar. Yeah. And then they're in space, and things go down improperly, and everybody starts manifesting their powers. Uh, You know, I mean, the way it really happened, if you want to call it that, was they didn't start manifesting their powers until they were back on Earth after a crash landing. And then... Again, inexplicably, Reed Richards sees or detects or has some kind of like fantastical, not a pun, vision of Galactus. And is like, we got to be able to deal with Galactus. And I'm like, what? Did you see Galactus? Did you legitimately see Galactus? Because nothing here we're talking about is based in science. It's like some kind of futuristic dream or vision or something. And so... Over the next, you know, six, seven, eight years, he, you know, they go about their lives. Everything happens. They're superheroes. It's a big deal. The thing hates himself. He hates hates him, his rocky body, all of that stuff. And then Reed and Sue get married. I'm like, that seems like that ought to be almost one issue unto itself. But I know it happened in the 60s, so I guess you can't really dial it in. I just, I don't feel like this one is encapsulating things the way that the Spider-Man books did. And, uh, but I will say the artwork is a little bit more appropriate than all of that Mark Bagley artwork in the Spider-Man book. But I just feel like the Spider-Man book has it way, way better. Am I going to get the next one? Yes. I'm going to read it. I'm going to see how it goes. Uh, it's just so far it's not nearly as emotionally impactful. Uh, I'm not like tied to it like I was with Spider-Man, because it was such a gutsy maneuver, and I just feel like they're not going there. They're not going hard enough with this book. Um, I read the trade paperbacks of Robotech Volumes 2 and 3 from Titan Comics, which is essentially a reprint of the original Comico books, and at the same time is 
vastly different. So if you watched Robotech, if you read the novels, if you read the comics growing up and you think you understand Robotech, here is a completely new take. And what gets me is that in the first trade paperback, there are subtle differences. And you're like, okay, it's not just the artwork, it's the circumstances. And there's something going on that leads us to believe that this Robotech is an alternate reality to what we came to know and understand. And then every episode, every issue seems to double down on the concept to the point where the characters are almost like, yeah, this is an alternate reality and we know it. And it's like, oh, wow. I mean, that's almost like Star Trek, J.J. Abrams, where they're like, yeah, we know we're an alternate reality, but we're on reality, so we're doing our own thing. So, like, in the second volume titled Bye Bye Mars, uh, you know, I mean, the fascinating thing is that Captain Global has been murdered. And Lisa, if you know Robotech... There you have it. What I'm going to oh, say, basically... 100%, dude. Back in the day... Yeah. It, it, like, and, and just to, to bring in a little bit of a, what it was like back in the... You know, being born in the 80s and watching anime in the in the 90s, it was hard to find this shit. Extremely hard <laughs> uh-huh. to find. It was getting up at 6 a.m. to watch uh, Sailor Moon at 6 a.m. or uh, staying up till like, 4 in the morning for one solid week in the summer when Sci-Fi Channel would run... Like from midnight to like five or six in the morning, it was. Oh yeah, tsunami. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. no, not tsunami, not tsunami. They would do a. They, they did a. I remember it was a couple of years. You could count on every summer for a whole week, really late at night. They would play like three or four legendary um, animes like Vampire Hunter D, Akira, Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. Um, but if you weren't, if you if you didn't know what Robotech was, you were. You were a fucking loser <laughs> when it came to us. <laughs> when, it, when it came to us, and it, it, it's it's uh, one of those things that it's it's near and dear to our hearts. The way we were talking to talking about uh, fucking Ninja Turtles. I mean, that's the yeah, that's the nice thing. Right now, we're living in a new era where Robotech is uh, about to probably blow up again because Tatsunoko and Big West and Harmony Gold, who all have the rights to Robotech. Uh, schematics, blueprints, likenesses, storylines, characters, names, etc. All of that has just been finally realized again as let's just share this and let's all make money off of it. Because for all these years, Harmony Gold had the rights in America and they were like, that means we're not importing any new Robotech material from Japan. In Japan, they're like, oh, yeah, we're just, like, blowing up with Robotech stuff all the time, but we're not allowed to send it to the United States. What that what that basically comes down to is something – I'm not going to go into that. I'm going to say, if you want to know what the heck I'm talking about, if you're already a fan and you don't know this, get on YouTube, look up Toy Galaxy, find the Robotech storyline. Dude, they are going to lay it out for you. Dan Larson and producer Greg have already laid it down in three – 10, 20-minute episodes like, here's why the Robotech franchise is complicated and as a business it's been difficult. And like, only in March of this year, 2021, has there finally been a handshake that fixed this. Basically, the storyline is built around a mile-long spaceship that crash lands on Earth at the end of the Third World War, right before it goes nuclear. And the ship is rebuilt over the next 10 years. The war stops, and all these characters are like, 
hmm, we got to figure out this new technology because we know that there are 50 foot tall aliens that look like us out in the galaxy and they're going to come here and get this ship. So, but they don't know why. And there's so many secrets about this. Uh, the captain's name is Henry Global. First officer is Lisa Hayes. They launch on the day that the aliens show up and then they space fold thinking they're going to uh, escape past the moon and counterattack, but they end up on the opposite side of Pluto and they take the entire island with awesome. them with that the uh, that uh, the ship crash landed on and all the civilian population there with them into space. And they're like, oh, my God, we're responsible for this. It's a huge mistake. So they pack all of these people into the ship, and they're like, we got to start a sub-light speed journey back to Earth over the next two and a half years. So we have the main, like, Robotech Defense Force characters who are part of the ship's company, and then the pilots of the transformable Veritech fighters. They transform into battleoid robots so they can fight the aliens. And then there's all these other great mechs in the story. And then we have the civilian Rick Hunter, who's an amateur super pilot. And he's like, I got to join up. But he has fallen in love with a little Chinese girl who lives on the starship called uh, Lin Min May. And she goes on to become a celebrity songwriter. They don't have anything else on the ship. So they're like, oh, my God, this this. Um, beauty pageant basically turns her into a superstar and that's all anybody cares about anymore okay. except for the war and so there's these two things the civilian life and the soldier life so like in this rewriting of robotech some of our favorite characters are like are they brainwashed are they murderers are they like what is going on with these characters rick hunter loses his vision uh lynn minmay isn't a totally vacuous like self-centered Sagittarius. She is like, I get it that I'm a prick, but like, I'm going to try to do things for people, you know, like everybody has this new motivation. The captain got murdered at the end of the first six issue storyline in this and bought probably by one of our favorite characters. And we don't know why. And then, as we know, they get closer, they get to Mars, they land there, they have to start dealing with the warlord Chiron, uh, and then Britai, the Zentradi commander up to that point, has fallen out of favor. Dude, everything is shifted. You've read Robotech, you've watched it, you've played the, the, the uh, Palladium games, you've done Robotech. This is a different Robotech, and it is fascinating because it is gritty and hardcore and it is inconsistently drawn but simultaneously it kicks ass like nothing about this is bad sometimes it looks hyper real sometimes it looks uh lazy but it's generally pretty great so the volume that i just read volume three is uh it all encapsulates the part of the story where a bunch of our pilot characters got captured by the Zentradi aliens. And, uh, I mean, that's Rick and Lisa and Ben Dixon and Max Sterling, and then adding uh, Captain Kramer, who, what? Like, he didn't have anything to do with anything. He was just this fan character that they developed based on the guy. There was a guy named Steve Kramer or something like that who was in the credits every ep every episode and someone just threw his name in there and they're like okay well now is this gonna get a guy gonna do something like like i say every issue doubles down on how 
how much more they want to expand exponentially this alternate reality. And it's, it's been fascinating so far. Uh, even going so far as that whole business where Max and Miria, if you know what I'm talking about, who, who fight each other three times until they fall in love. Uh, the whole video game thing is a dream. Uh, maybe you're listening to this and you're going like, I don't know what that is and I don't give a rip. But if you're listening to this and you know what that means, you're like, uh, well, how could they possibly get away with that? Dude, pick this up. It's it's there. Um, I mean, it's like a $16 book, and uh, I've got all three of them. And uh, you're, it's coming out in single issues. You can get the variant covers with the action figure covers. Those are kind of awesome. Anyway, so there's that. Let me let somebody else jump in before I go into my Star Wars thing. Yeah, I want to talk about Lobo, uh, Christian Lobo. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Tony, did you read this? I have not. No. It's a kid comic book. <clears throat> it doesn't come off Lobo. as a kid comic book. It comes off as a kid comic book the way a kid comic book that was not. If you've ever read original like 1960s Fantastic Four Spider Man. They're for children, but when they came out, yeah. they, they weren't they weren't necessarily for children or written for children. They were written for people that wanted good comics. This is written. I, I imagine in ten years, this is going to be like, like what is this shit? Like if this is what is shit? Like, like that's a terrible way to say it. It was well drawn. It was great dialogue, but it, it's it's an agenda piece. Um, uh, Crush has a real thick girlfriend she's got to get to for her birthday. She's a regular-ass human that forgives her for being <laughs> late. She's got a motorcycle a la Akira. Um, but it boils down to uh, I just quit Teen Titans, and it's one of those things like if you're not... Wow, if you're not reading everything, you're going to miss a lot of... Sh- <laughs> you're going to miss a lot of shit. Like like, like uh, the, the last Avengers Academy, uh, number three. Um, Teen Re- Titans Academy. Teen Ta- yeah, Teen Titans Academy. Sorry about that. Um, it's like um, a lot of shit happened. A <laughs> lot of shit happened. Lobo uh, Crush was like, "Fuck this place." Um, what happened with uh, Suicide Squad? Yep, Suicide this, Squad and Bolt. This is this is post that she quit, and she's getting these uh, video calls, these Facetime calls from Lobo in jail. And I've been meaning to ask you what comic. <laughs> Like last week or two weeks ago, when John Stewart showed up from space and said, "Yo, we captured Lobo. We need a place to stash him." Oh, that was Last Ride, Justice League Last Ride number one. Yeah, it's a reference to that. Uh, that he, oh, that he's in jail and they have him effectively captured. But it's putting, all coming together exactly, and they are doing their best to rehabilitate him, put him through therapy. And he's like, "Hey, what's up, bitch? I'm your dad." She's like, you're not my dad. <laughs> and it's she's like, he's like, hey, they, I'm supposed to heal here. Why don't you come down to one of my therapy sessions? All right. And all I could think was this is an agenda piece to make some kids with the high anxiety that just don't know how to fucking go outside and, you know, meet new kids and play <laughs> or going to, oh, this was the book for me. Like, oh, fuck you. This was a pussy book, dude. This was... Like, great artwork, thick-ass, regular-ass girlfriend, the cake gets dropped. Um, the cake? Yeah, and it, it's just, it, this, it didn't matter. Like, th- this is, 
you're going to put Crush in a book, and this is what you're going to do to her? And we're talking about feelings and her love of hot cocoa and her lesbian girlfriend. Like, this is fucking pandering bullshit. <laughs> this is... Like, the more I think about it, the more it's pissing me off. Fuck this book. Um, <laughs> uh, next one, to, like I said, a couple we can go. I can go through quick. Uh, Crush and Lobo... Actually, Morales, give us the breakdown of what the hell is going on in Crime Syndicate. So it's like post... Is is this in between Future State and... Uh... I, think it's, I think it's just in and of itself. I mean, it's like basically, like, you know, uh, Earth 3. You know, we start out freaking... They just beat up Starro last issue, blah, blah, blah. Just, uh, Injustice League for Crime Syndicate thinks they're going to be heroes. And like... Johnny Quick's at a bar with Atomica, and the cops show up to arrest him. They run. Freaking John Stewart's, you know, flying through the air. No big deal. Coast City. He's trying. Yeah, he's in Coast City, trying to get to Alexander Luther. Freaking, you know, they're trying. You know, Luther's got a plan as usual. Freaking nothing. Like it's it's not a bad little piece. Sinestro shows up. He's gonna he's gonna help out Luther. You know, we've got Batman or Owlman is trying is with Superwoman <laughs> and they're trying to get their group together and they're trying to get with Ultraman because he's the most powerful person in the world and like they need him on their side. And he's basically in the he's in the Fortress of Solitude, just huffing freaking kryptonite. Because he's he's addicted he's, to kryptonite. He's Ultraman in this, and the artwork is this is of all the of all the books I've read in DC for the past like I want to say ten years. This is the worst illustrated book I've seen. It's pretty yeah, oh, wow, it's not, it's not the best illustration. But um, freaking, you know, Owlman is trying to talk him into it, and Diana's ba- or Diana or Donna Troy is basically let me handle this. And she's like, you know, I need, you know, we need, you know, to get people together to fight this problem. And then she, you know, you know, Ultraman doesn't really care, but she's just like, I want an heir. (laughs) And like Ultraman is just like, oh, I can definitely help with that. (laughs) Any form of any form of Superman doing that is just like crazier than you think. Time to breed. Uh, yep. Bring, bring it back to, uh, <laughs> just with that, he joins up the pro. He joins up with Owlman and you know Superwoman. You know we come to we come to John Stewart over here trying to fix everything in Franco City. His rings talking to him. Sinestro shows up. You know, and he's just like, "I'm here to set you free." You know, they kind of squall a little bit. Freaking, they end up. You know, he ends up putting a yellow construct over his ring to try to get him to. To get John Stewart to calm down a little bit, you know, Ultraman kind of Ultraman shows up. We got a uh, Luther and his crew are confronting Thomas Wayne, who's Owlman, and they basically and freaking John Stewart's trying to meet his, I believe, it's his daughter, and the daughter's running from him, talking about how his her father's dead, and then he ends up meeting up with Luther and his crew. Who are calling themselves the Legion of Justice to end the episode, or to end the issue, and the next issue, this means war. Oh Jesus! So I mean, it's, it's not a bad issue. It's just kind of, 
you know, it's definitely kind of a filler issue to kind of get, you know, start putting pieces together to start leading towards the end, you know, us versus them. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays up. It was, <laughs> like, I'm cracking up thinking of, like, you know, like, ready to breed, thinking about, did you ever watch the robot chicken where uh, they find uh, Lois Lane's, like, blown up, mutilated body? And it's because, uh, <laughs> Superman wasn't wearing a condom. (laughs) 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 Superman wasn't wearing a condom and just basically busted so hard it ripped her in half. And even that was better than, like, God, like, I I just don't understand the purpose of this book. I'm a little offended by it, considering the way it's not tying into anything in a part of the way DC's vibrating right now. And I keep saying that word. Um, But it's just, it, it means nothing to me. It was, it was a, this was a difficult read. I, I I didn't I didn't enjoy it. It, it. Like it was like reading, especially with the artwork. I mean, the, you know, God bless him for trying, but like the difference between uh, X Men Alpha back in uh, you know Age of Apocalypse time when we've got Maduria doing the cover, and then we get to X Men Prime, and it's like just garbage art. It's like it's it's just not good. And and it, with DC, everything they're doing, even the lowest tier of books, is bad ass when it comes to the visual storytelling. Mm. Uh, something is killing the children number 16 I really can't go too far into this this is one of those indie books that if you're not invested in a she's not a crime Erica's not a crime fighter she's part of the house of slaughter that is a divided rich aristocracy that can see monsters and destroy them big caper just ended where she just uh saved a lot of people and House of Slaughter was almost exposed and on the news we saw monsters, invisible monsters destroying things. But this is a breakdown of her initial uh, initiation when she first saw a monster when she was a child and killed it after it killed her parents and her friend that was staying the night. And it's her introduction into the House of Slaughter. And it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a lot of exposition. It's a lot of uh, the, the person bringing her in in is no longer in the storyline or alive from what I can ascertain from uh, all the, everything from before issue uh, 15 but she's a really smart girl like getting thrown to the wolves and that's what's going on here and I know that the uh, I, I, I'm hoping we get maybe one or two before we get that free comic book day uh, August 16th right oh I couldn't tell you it used to be in May it's always the first Saturday in May, but like Tony, wouldn't it like August sixteenth? He had to get up. <laughs> to get up. Let me look it up. <laughs> I'm almost positive. But yeah, uh, House of Slaughter. I can't wait. Man Bat number five is actually give me some vintage Star Wars, man. We'll we'll finish off on Man Bat and Man Bat and uh, Batman, but uh, let's go with Star Wars. Yeah, this vintage Star Wars was interesting. I when I was a kid, I picked up some of these issues. I had this weird sensibility where I was like, oh, what's the value of this book based around what I think I'm gonna get looking at the cover and you can never judge a comic book by its cover. More often than not that stuff, the stuff that you're looking at doesn't even take place in the issue. But 
there's this whole long, like, uh, five or six issue setup uh, starting after this, after the initial run of the Marvel Star Wars comics in which, you know, they're retelling the, the movie, the first movie. And uh, then they go their separate ways, Han and Chewie go their way and uh, go do what they're doing. And they get into this magnificent seven kind of storyline with a bunch of wacky aliens. And then Luke and Leia run around together with the droids for a while. And they end up uh, getting into some shenanigans and, about the time that Han encounters a pirate captain who has an has a star destroyer um, that he captured from a battle, and uh, about the time that Luke and Leia are on their way to try to find a new rebel base, a planet that's suitable for a new rebel base, they all end up at this world called Drexel. And it is a water planet, and there is a war going on between these sea serpents who live there and the people who ride them and the people who live in this gigantic sailing, you know, pirate barge with, like, thatched and moss-covered homes all over it. It's kind of an amazing uh, design concept, but... um, you know, Luke lands there, and he doesn't realize he got drawn in by this, like, power wave that's sucking any starships into the planet, and they crash into the water, and then they're like, that's the only thing we don't have is replacement metal parts, because we can build things out of lumber, and we can build things out of whatever, but we can't make new technology on this world, and we've been trapped here for generations. So... Han has lured the pirates there, hoping that they'll crash land into the place and he'll be able to escape. He doesn't know that Luke and Leia are there. And uh, when they all start to figure it out and they're like, okay, let's go, blah, blah, blah. Let's figure, let's, let's, let's run away. And then let's uh, deal with all of our collective problems simultaneously. Um, by that time, you know, they've managed to solve this war between the sea serpents and the ship characters. And then the, the pirates are the pirate thing is oh, it's frustrating. Uh, you look at where we're, everything pirates are whack. Pirates have their moments, but like, you know, I mean, I'm playing uh, a D six star Wars uh, campaign with my son right now built on the uh, West end games, star Wars, RPG, and I thought, oh, it'll be interesting because there's pirates like to do something with that. So let's go back and reread this. And I remember how hard it was for me to read this as a kid. And I remember how like very seventies the illustrations were. They're so very not what I was reading in the nineties because I would read contemporary Spider-Man and I would read Robotech and I would read all this stuff. And I was like, why does all this have a completely different look than this? It's the seventies. How can it be that different? It totally was. I mean, the hair, the illustration style, what these characters were wearing, their cheekbones, the way their eyes were presented, uh, defends your forced perspective. No, it's just, it's so outrageously, obviously different than any of the other bronze age stuff. And this was all, under the uh, command of uh, Archie Goodwin, who's from Oklahoma, and then the one of the junior editors on this is uh, Jim Shooter, one of our our favorites. Oh, and uh, 
yeah amazing guy amazing guy if you guys have the opportunity to talk to him you should totally visit with this with him jim shooter and um you know and the, like they they push leia into the background and they introduce other lady characters who are uh emancipated powerful women characters and i'm like why are you guys pushing this so hard it's because it's the 70s and then, oh, of course, she's going to be like, I'm so badass, except I, I don't know. I've got confused feelings about this Han Solo guy. And they don't spend any time on it. They don't develop it as a story. They don't improve upon a narrative. It's just this thing. Oh, well, he's just pretty. And I was like, man, I'm really let down by this because I've read this three times in my life. And I'm really disappointed that it's that simplistic. It's that mono story narrative it's just nothing there's no dimensionality to it and uh you know and there's a whole thing where it's just crazy to go back and look at any star wars though before there was an empire strikes back before there was any other like narrative or fiction to go off of this was it this was the only compelling furtherance of the storyline after 1977 for like three years so archie goodwin controlled where star wars was going until the empire strikes back came out and it is reflected very well in how piss poor the artwork is when you get down to the fact that the Millennium Falcon is never consistently the same ship from this panel oh, to that panel oh, to the next panel. You, like, where's the cockpit? Is it on the left? Is it on the right? Just Are get there it colors? Done. Just get it done. Does it, yeah. Does it look like a burger in space? Does it look like a pizza in space? Does it look like a Frisbee? Like, nothing is consistent. And then I think about it and I'm like, these guys didn't have a print to work off of. They didn't probably even have stills. They probably went to the movie. They saw it three times. They wrote a bunch of stuff down. And then they're operating off of memory. And it's surprising to me that they could even get the costumes right from one panel to the next. Like Chewbacca looks like a goddamn Yeti. And it's like, this doesn't make any sense, but okay. And it's just, it's fascinating to me that anyone could look at this now and go... Yeah, this is Star Wars, but it is. And, uh, I mean, that's my beef. I've got it from issue 11 to 15. I was really wanting to read some non-Imperial bad guys that had some strength and power, and these guys managed to hold over the characters, uh, our heroes, for long enough. But at the same time, it's it's incredulity to see Princess Leia running around in her, like, white gown and luke and his like double-breasted desert costume and whatever (laughs) exactly it's just like it's just yeah they really go out of their way to uh scope in on um uh let's just really feature leia's boobs as much as we can and then make her look really severe with super arched eyebrows and really hard lines around her hair and stuff like that. It's like there's, there, it, she's over the top sexy, but she's not like feminine in a way that we can take her seriously. Like they lost the, they lost the ability to project how well Carrie Fisher portrayed a powerful female character, a princess that needed rescuing, but didn't need saving. And, uh, 
And, and, and it just, I just, they just burned themselves on this thing. But yeah, I mean, that's where it was. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep reading some Star Wars comics from back then, though, because I want to see the progression of the whole thing. I want to see if they ever figured it out. Did they ever get it? You know. Anyway, that's that's my material this week. <clears throat> Man. I was I actually uh, I got bored this weekend and I watched all the Family Guy Star Wars. It's a blue. Star oh, awesome! Blue, yeah, I haven't seen them in a while. Blue Harvest, uh, something, 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 Dark Side, and it's a trap. And they, <laughs> they they point out a lot of things that are so wrong in it. Like, hey, what are you doing wearing Hans' uh, clothes? And he lo- like Brian oh, looks, yep. looks in the camera. And is like, no, seriously, look at the actual movie. Why the fuck is he wearing Hans' clothes? It's weird. Um, it is weird, but why wouldn't he be? You know, <laughs> uh, it, it, you know, I I I, I can sense and and completely relate because I have a few of the old school um, Marvel Star Wars, and the artwork was just like why, <laughs> like mm-hmm. like why, why like how who approved this? Was it just because it did, like did you think that it didn't matter because the people that are going to buy these are Star Wars fans that aren't comic book readers? Are you stupid? Because people that read comic books love Star Wars. Like, just you're just gonna shit on us and, and put out a, a book that isn't gonna mean anything. It's the reason why I have such a big hang up about the Marvel buyout of everything in Dark Horse because it, they immediately invalidated. Oh, there, yeah. It immediately yeah. invalidated so many, like at least two and a half decades of solid content and, and beautiful artwork and. I'm super worried about them doing that with uh, Alien uh, when they bought it from Dark Horse as well. I guess say like the uh, Star Wars, the, the 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 title that was called Star Wars or Classic Star Wars, Star Wars Classics that Dark Horse had for some years. I never really appreciated the artwork that much, but I did like the storylines to a degree because it was just you know yeah, yeah we're we're trying to find a new base and. Uh, we're going to embellish this character a little bit by meeting somebody on that or whatever and having a full, having a romantic interest or something as much as you can do on a Hoth. Right. And, but, like, at least they had that. They'd seen all of the movies while they were writing those in the 90s, and then that was before the special edition even came out. And then we had to start just force-fucking new Java scenes into our... Uh, collective it's, understanding. We had to start, especially if you've seen the original drama, the fat guy and the the he yeah. the, the, the he's basically like mini Hagrid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I gotta say, if you want, I mean, obviously this is some kind of Star Wars. If you want superior Star Wars, you've got to go to the con the, to the, the the stuff that they're doing now. Because it, it's good. It's really, really good. The artwork is top-notch. The coloring, the inking, the lettering, the storylines, the uh, the panel frames are beautiful. It's it's something else. But, yeah. Well, that's, that's what I got, you, man. That's all you got. Let's move on. Uh, Tony, what do you say? We do Man Bat or Batman? I got Batman right now. If you want to do Man Bat, shoot. Oh, you know what? Yeah. Let's... Uh, Pull up my notes on Mr. Manbat here. I was up really late last night reading comics, man. <laughs> well, I'll run through Batman real quick while you're looking doing that. I got yeah, I got my notes. So go go from uh, Batman one or nine. Hit it, hit it, hit it, hit it. All right, so we got we start off. We got 
Bruce Wayne in his bat, bat outfit running from the scarecrow in a dream sequence. Uh, then we show up at Bruce Wayne at his house thinking about his previous conversation with Miracle Molly talking about how what if he was stronger if he could just let his past go, which right. is a you know, totally foreign concept to Bruce Wayne right now. Um, he ends up getting a hold of Oracle. Oracle's talking about how things, have, you know, he's been missing MIA for a minute. And now things are getting weird because we're getting more and more random scarecrows throughout town, which is, you know, obviously not a scarecrow, blah, blah, blah. But scarecrow is now utilizing fear in a completely different way because he's utilizing fear without having to utilize the fear toxin. That's the best line from the book. I actually have it under underlined in uh, quotation. The scarecrow attack didn't need a single drop of toxin. Yeah, but now we're getting into my personal favorite part here. We got a uh, we got ghost we got Ghostmaker and we got Harley Quinn, and just hearing them talk about each other is really interesting because Harley's of the volition that Ghostmaker either wants to nail her or to kill her, <laughs> <laughs> and Steve's not quite sure which one he wants to do more. Yeah, why but not? We find, but we start finding out because the whole thing is that Ghostmaker is fascinated by Harley. You know, he talks about how, you know, she was a trained therapist. Then she literally fell for the most dangerous man on the planet and then spent three years by his side terrorizing society. Then next thing you know, she's a member of the Suicide Squad. She's doing government work with a bomb implanted in her head. And that was the first thing she that was the first time she ever thought of helping somebody else because she had to. And now here we are. How we now here we are. She's basically trying to become the new Robin, trying to be Batman's sidekick. And now, Batman's telling her no, and she keeps showing up because she wants to help people. You know, she's she's just so all over the place. It's insane. They've done this before. For they've done this before, and it it doesn't ever work out right. Like she gets way out of hand. Yeah. Well, the whole thing too is Harley's noticing stuff about Ghostmaker. Like we walk into his his ghost lair, if you will, he calls it the haunt, and there's a bigger dinosaur than what Batman had in you know the old Batcave, <laughs> and he's that. mad because dinosaur. his car is not as fast. His car, which he calls the Ghost Racer, is not as fast as freaking the Batmobile. Yeah, I'll destroy and like it. he, he, I'll destroy he just it. Fuck it. at the end of the day, he is just trying to outdo Batman. He's but apparently we find brother. out that at the, at, the, yeah, at the age of eight, he was diagnosed as a psychopath. He doesn't feel empathy. He doesn't feel fear. And he just basically was like, you know, I, what I could do is I could just you know, run around having sex with anybody I wanted to, not having any problems with that, and just be you know, ethically unbound. Or I could challenge myself to actually make the world a better, you know, try to fix the world and make it a better place. And they're just having this conversation. You know, he's got a, he's got a, he took off his ghost maker outfit, but he's got a mask on because apparently only five people in the world have ever seen his true face. And of those five, only three people know his actual legal name. And they're just talking about this, just having this kind of like tete-a-tete, if you will. And freaking, he just offers her a sword and is like, try to hurt me. And you, you see them freaking sword fighting until these freaking 
vegetable hounds show up and Harley's just like, Bella, that's you. And we see the gardener come in and you know, we, you know, the freaking his um, Ghostmaker's tech is basically like, this is Bella Gardner. She's a wanted eco terrorist, blah, blah, blah. And we find out that she basically knew freaking Poison Ivy from college and they used to date. And Poison Ivy is under Gotham City right now. And all her plants are basically slowly collapsing the city from underneath. And she's like, if, if anybody comes to see her, she's going to destroy the city. So she basically is like, Harley, I need you to go to Poison Ivy and try to talk her out of this. You know, and then we, and then, you know, she ends up talking her into it. It's like, Hey, let me know. She leaves her a flower to like communicate with her. And we go to uh, Simon Saints into Simon Saints office where he's talking with a guy representing Dr. Uh, Mayor Nakano's office. Trying, she's still trying to get these peacemakers. All uh, Steve Jobs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he but he's trying to get. Like he does, but he's trying to get the peacemakers approved by the mayor's office. And Batman comes in, is basically, like, we're not doing this. You know, I want to know. I know you're in cahoots with Scarecrow. I want to know what's going on. I want to know how. And he's just like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm just trying to get my peacemakers to work because obviously the Cape and Cowl crew isn't making things happen. You know, and he's just like, maybe you need a demonstration. And he brings in um, the cop that got his arms and legs blown off, who is now fully transformed into a peacekeeper. And he is now peacekeeper number one. Zero one. And he, yep. he, he here's and you're racing through this, but you, you gotta you gotta slow down for a second. Uh, when it comes to this, uh, he he's uh, Colin. He's basically the equivalent of the Iron Patriot right now. He's got the flower right. and everything, but he's got more utility belts, and uh, you can see his hair and, and the light up eyes. And we're getting we're getting a knockdown drag out here. And you gotta you gotta rewind and remember that Future State hasn't ended yet. Okay. They, they stopped it, and they went to what is it? Infinite. Um, I keep forgetting what like uh, the title of what's going on here. Morales up here. Infinite what? Oh, it's freaking Infinite Frontier. Infinite Frontier. So we're like they they they're telling a story from so many different angles here. Uh, we go to the future. We get teased with awesome characters and possibilities, and we rewind. And after we know the death of a bunch of our favorite people, and then now Infinite Frontier's going on here, and then when we get the reveal of who Peacekeeper 1 is, and then now he's basically Iron Patriot, but whooping the dog shit out of Batman as he's, like, about to... (laughs) He's throttling Steve Jobs. And before that, we get this weird... We get this weird interval here where we're getting... Harley is a complicated character, and I was hesitant to even use that word when it comes to Harley because she's so overused. She's basically the, I I know, I know that Deadpool is a ripoff of Slade Wilson, uh, but she's basically with the same vibration here of like how they exploit it. Uh, Every other comic has Harley in it. Every other comic has Deadpool. She's the Deadpool of the, what's going on here, but we get this extra layer here. 
And I, I would never would have invested in her in, in, unless it was for the Harleen uh, three-issue black label that came out uh, last year. And it just popped up on the app, by the way. I asked you in Amarillo if you read it, and you said you hadn't, but it's on the app. I'll, I'll resend you the password. Uh, it's a hyper-sexualized uh, ideal of this. Like, it, it, it's, the, it's the opposite I was talking about with, with Crush, where, like, okay, of course... She's got the, sa- the shaved sides of the head. She's got the thick, regular-ass girlfriend. No, Harley really was in love. Like, uh, like where Joker was the one she keeps going back to. Her, uh, Ivy was the, the right one. And it's, it's hyper-sexualized, but not in a, in a sense that we're getting a lot of titties and chicks kissing. No, it's a real relationship. The way it should actually be plotted out. Mm-hmm. And man, I'm wish I hadn't been up so late because I've got Theramelanic is detective. What the hell did I write here? Peacekeeper, reminiscent of Iron Patriot. Uh, you said it earlier. The Haunt. That it, it's so funny because uh, the, the the his his base is the Haunt, and his costume is such a ripoff of Haunt from uh, McFarlane and uh, <laughs> and and Ryan Otley. And um, there was. A specific shot of Batman when he was getting dressed in the Batman, and he didn't have the black makeup around his eyes, and that really stuck out to me. I don't know why I even even just bring it up, but we've got Oracle kicking ass, and it's 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 a hard sell here because Scarecrow is in the pages of Detective right now. Uh, is, is it, it's Detective, right? No, am I getting confused? No, it's, it's, Batman. it's Batman. Well, like all of a sudden he just gets like just knocked out like it was easy as shit <laughs> like, like you make him all scary as shit and he gets knocked the fuck out um the the machine well, he's, ever been, he's never been a fighter himself he's always been that's always he's always been a mental villain Agreed. it's like the riddler you can't riddler riddler's not gonna throw down he's a riddler yeah i'm not saying that that should have happened i'm just saying like it was just like a quick quick punch to the glass jaw and like oh come on man like at least have something in your goddamn uh, helm or helmet or mask to not get knocked the fuck out from an easy-ass punch. Do something more. Um, I just... I just I, 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 this isn't my favorite issue that's happened, but at the same time, though, as we build more to closing the conclusions of what happened in Future State, I love every bit of this. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, you know, you got that, you got the, you, you know, he kind of, Batman figures out his plan, because freaking, you know, they're basically using the, um, he's using, Simon Saints is using Scarecrow to show why he needs to, why Gotham needs the Peacekeepers, because he's going to send Peacekeeper after Scarecrow, while at the same time, he's using the Unsanity Collective, and, because they blow up freaking a building, and they're going to blame it on the Insanity Collective, showing again why Gotham needs the Peacekeepers. So he's basically, Simon Saints basically masterminding this entire plan purely for the focus of making money by utilizing his peace, by having uh, Mayor Nakano utilize the Peacekeepers, showing why they need to be there. So he's utilizing at least currently two of Batman's villains just to set this plan in motion. Of course. But why the hell not? And it's a lot of fun, and God damn it, everything about this is good. What do we have left? We just got one more left? God. Just Man-Bat, I think. 
Like I think Colin ran through all your stuff, right? Yeah, all set. Just man, man. You guys doing all right, man? We've been going on the. We've been going on uh, for a while tonight. You guys all right? Four, seven, ten, fifteen hours now. I don't know. Something like twenty-two that. at this point. Uh, but it's counting. I'll take point on man bat. Venom. <laughs> 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 we're no, we're getting like Man Bat has been injected with legit Bane style venom, and we're we're dealing with the deconstruction of the human. Like th- throughout the entirety of the, the Man Bat series, this is issue five. Um, he's constantly like, "I'm the good guy." I keep accidentally, accidentally fucking up. It's not my fault. These things keep happening. Uh, these uh, variables I didn't account for keep happening. And this is where he's completely, finally accosted with, I'm the villain. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's, it's uh, like what we've talked about before, when, when you hear any interview with a spy, and they say, like, yeah, the thing about being a, an espionage is that each person thinks that they're working for the good guys. And this was a flash in the pan where he realizes like he's completely out of control out of his mind on Venom and like the cover alone like if you see it he's jacked as shit like he's the most of this is veins going on here and he's doing his best and he's bettering the Batman but like what do you think about the Batman with the red eyes here I think it's awesome I think I like the idea of Batman being out of control that's basically what it is he's got freaking you know, Scarecrow got to Batman, and now he's, you know, having to kick the crap out of freaking King Man-Bat, and King the roles are completely reversed. Right. You know, he, he takes him into the air, he flies up with him, and you know, Batman, you know, while being out of his mind, still is in control, and he still is able to, you know, call his freaking Batwing to come, freaking, to come get him. Cal, activate aerial assistance. This is one of the best blast pages. That, that man, the, the, the Batwing on this is gorgeous. My wings are better than yours, motherfucker. Focus, focus, focus. Focus. <laughs> and it, 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 the, the redemption with him and his sister. No, no, not his sister. His, uh, his, his wife. His wife. His or wife. his wife slash sister. <laughs> it depends on what internet site you go to for it. Um, the dialogue back and forth. This wasn't about action. This was about... Someone figuring out, like, yeah, we had a lot of fun with him trying to be the, the the hero. But in my opinion, this is when you have that realization when, like, wait a minute, am I an asshole? And it's not your friend being like, you know, someone you trust being like, yeah, dude, you're an asshole. And you go, like, maybe I am an asshole. No, this was the internal realization. I'm a villain. And I got to get I got to get this under under wraps that this hurts. I, I can't be I can't be he almost killed he almost killed Scarecrow. <clears throat> but we get the uh what did you think the uh the morph from him being like full fledged like you know like werewolf man bat to like more uh nineties style ripped jeans, more cut like like I, I feel like his uh his wings are almost tuxedo esque. Yeah, I mean it's just kinda uh, you know, he just you know, it was him coming to terms with who and what he was, basically. You know, he realized at that point, you know, it's not that he's two different people. There's not, you know, Kirk Langstrom, the doctor, and Man Bat, the monster. It's one and the same. And, you know, this basically is a reflection of that. 
you know, we see him with the with the sound cannon fixing everything, going out of his way to finally actually help people to get, you know, to because they all the you know Scarecrow made everybody lose their mind and was chasing after his wife, and at the end of the day, he finally was the hero he always thought he was. And at the end of the day, it still didn't matter. His marriage was still broken. He still, at the end of the day, he couldn't fix what he wanted to fix the most. He was able to help everybody else, but he couldn't help himself. And at the end of the day, he ended up basically surrendering to the cops, being like, you know, I know what I did was wrong, and I have to pay for it, and I'm going to pay for it, and I'm going to go to Blackgate. And then we turn around and freaking he's over here trying to, you know, he's in jail, still trying to help people. And Wonder Woman, of all people, shows up and gives him a second chance. And she she even goes so far as to hand him the lasso of truth and is like, hey, if you really want to do this, let's, you know, let's do this. But if you can't handle the truth and you are lying to yourself, the lasso will help you. And the end of the, you know the end of the comic is them both holding the lasso and Manbat being like I'm ready to to tell the truth and then it talks about how we're going to lead into uh, just the return of Justice League Dark the Age of Magic and you know and that was one of the big things is he was the character in Justice League Dark that was trying to reform. Especially, and now we're going to see more of that. Especially with what's going on in Justice League Dark and in the, the B pages in, in Batman right now uh, with Merlin running amok. I popped for that, man. Like, I, I loved the, the full circle revelation here. And uh, even it, at a base level, the nostalgia when he's upside down reading the newspaper, he's still trying to help people. It reminded me of Beast in jail at the, in the first two seasons of uh, X-Men. I can see that. Remember, he he's like, no, my my day in court will come. I will do what I got to do. And uh, but Diana shows up, and she, yeah, it was a big deal handing him the the lasso. I'm ready to tell the truth, yep. and we're gonna get some Justice League Dark. And man, I I'm conflicted on it because it's one of those things that do I want the original Justice League Dark lineup? I don't know. Madam Madam is kind of boring when it kind of comes down to it. I've got a bunch of her Vertigo comics. They're not always that good. Uh, no. Constantine has his place. You can't just always have a Constantine book. Like I, I really feel like mm-hmm. the way they've been doing Johnny uh, lately has been great because they we give him we get him in small doses, and as opposed to constant Batman, constant you can't do constant Johnny. There's only so much you can stomach of that asshole. God damn! I just want to see more Detective Chimp. Oh, Detective Chimp's a shit man. I love that guy. <laughs> I love that guy, and it's funny because I always think about him. And I think about the uh, Hitman monkey from the pages of Deadpool. I'm like, eh, you ain't no detective chimp, motherfucker. <laughs> I do that. <laughs> not, not at all. Goddamn, that was that was some serious walking through minefields. You guys exhausted? Yeah, yeah. dude, I'm beat, devastated. <laughs> it's one here. It's two there. Sheesh. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's time to stop. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we have. We have uh, we have uh, received the transmission. Yeah, we've received the transmission. I got, I'm going to have another 45 minutes formatting this and uh, working on the graphics and so I can release this in the morning for our beautiful, wonderful minefielders and MFers out there. Guys, who wants to lead us out? Mm, this transmission is over. 
<laughs> and this is that dangerous. Simple. This is dangerous. <laughs>